You're listening to PodcastJuice.net. Hey, you! Get out on this dance floor! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Prince Podcast here on PodcastJuice.net. We got a doozy for you today. Today we are going to be talking about Prince in the 90s. So that means we're going to be looking at albums, um, everything. Uh, the 90s is obviously a very highly debated uh, era in Prince's music. Um, did he go sideways? Did he turn to hip hop? Or what, what was going on? And we're going to get into all that. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, we are joined today by some very special guests. You may have mentioned, heard, heard us mention repeatedly on this show on the last few shows about the Music Snob podcast that we've been checking out. Well, I can say that today we are joined by two of the gentlemen from that show today. So we want to give a warm welcome to Arthur and Jerhan. Thank you, sirs, for coming on the show. Thanks for having us so much. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. So let's go to Arthur. Arthur, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this uh, music snob podcast, how that started. Uh, well, um, born in Chicago, raised in Oakland. Uh, I first, I guess the best way to say it, I first heard Prince uh, when I was maybe nine years old, um, driving across the Bay Bridge with my mom and uh, saw him on American Bandstand. And ever since then, I was hooked. Um, I had uh, grew up listening to a lot of rock um and prince was the first one that kind of carried me back over to uh i have an older sister who had a lot of earth wind and fire funkadelic ohio players album so it kind of melded what i was listening to to what i was listening to from my sister's room and um ever since then i've just been uh i've just been a music snob a music elitist uh, when I was in the fifth grade i knew the difference between an import version of an album and the domestic version of an album you know, I always had my LPs slotted correctly, alphabetical order with the plastic still on. I just I just been like that. And, I, you know, I read liner notes in, in ninth grade. You know what I'm saying? So right, right. hooking up with um, with like minded individuals um, was, you know, it's kind of a long time coming because, you know, you, you kind of have to name check certain people, certain songs, kind of look at other people's musical library to see what they're into before you really try to reveal, you know, what you're on. Mm-hmm. And um uh, the show really started uh, it kind of like in that vein where we all, the four of us, is kind of connected via email. You know, we, we each were either direct friends or one person away from knowing the other person, you know. And what, Jay, maybe two years of emails <laughs> just going back, you know, where it started out, check this out, check that out. And then we'd start debating, you know, um, one of us, I, it, it might have been Scoop, had been like, you know what, yeah. Y'all should just do a podcast. Y'all some music snobs. And, you know, here here we are uh, going on 13 shows later, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But um, really honored to uh, have you all as, as um, fans of the show. Um, I actually started listening to the Prince podcast. I think, Mike, you started in 2005 or six, but you and Tobias would go album by album. Yes, yes. And I think I, I, I think I sent you this long email rant when you all were on Dirty Mind. I'm like, y'all didn't go deep enough. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> deep enough. <laughs> I kind of remember that. <laughs> That's the core of the myth. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so we're really, really happy to uh, be on the show. Oh, man, that's, that's what's up. I love that. Uh, Jerhan, man. 
<laughs> Tell me about yourself. So you you immediately when you just your voice and the stuff you talk about, I feel and I say this with respect. Uh, sometimes you like you either can love or hate some of the suggestions you make. I love them all, and I just love because they're just so <laughs> disruptive. <laughs> that's a great way. Thank you. Positive, Thank you. That's, positively that's, disruptive. Um, but go ahead. That's kind of like the attention. I think um, I I pretty much the same background as as Arthur and pretty much the same involvement. I guess I'm really just um, a hanger on really in the music snobs. I'm, I, I think I'm just lucky to be there. I think they, you know, like all Hollywood movies nowadays, they just needed a British villain. And uh, so, that, that, so that's me. But, um, but definitely, yeah, I mean, fan of your shows as much as anything else. And uh, um, I mean, you've been, you're deep. I mean, you've been going, like Arthur said, since 2005, right? That's yeah. that's that's crazy. So yeah, I mean, good for you. If we can if we can last half as long, we'll be lucky. Nah, you will. You guys are good. Um, all right. So uh, of course we have Big Sexy and Sack. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Got my workout in. Got my NFL stuff happening. And Arthur, you're from Oakland. What part? Because I grew up in Oakland myself. Oh, Oakland Hills, uh, Skyline, class class of '89. Oh, Skyline. I see. Oh, here we go. See, I was I was Oakland Tech, class of '81. Natural, you know, natural enemies of ours, but that's cool. Love to have you on the show. Good to be here, Mike. Why do I get the feeling some drama going on? Already, we ain't even got into it. And of course, Big Ken, sir. How are you? I'm fine. I'm I'm glad to be on the show today with the snobs. It's an honor, and I'm glad. It sounds like somebody else going to be the villain besides me this time, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's get things started. Uh, Prince in the 90s. Now, before we get into the actual 90s, there is one album that just sits outside of being a part of the 90s, but I think that uh, people have something to say. I think this album signaled a lot of things and the album I'm talking about is the soundtrack to the movie Batman and it's the album Batman uh, the original soundtrack version from Prince and this album came out uh, I believe it was June 20th of 1989 and of course coming off the heels of Love Sexy which comes off the heels of Sign of Times and I mean that was a amazing run Batman I will say for myself this was a full stop as they say, and it, I was like, wait a minute, there's something something in the water does not compute here. Uh, so I'm going to turn it over. I'm going to give the first person to speak on this. I want to go to Jahan. Jahan, what does that Batman album mean to you? To me, it it's quite, I, I'm in two minds about it because it, um, I think at the time I judged it more harshly than I would nowadays in the context of his recent material. Mm. But when it came out, certainly at that time, I thought exactly the same as you. Yeah, this is the fall off point. This is where it changed. And this is where he, if I had to, if I had to describe exactly what I, what I think it represents in terms of Prince, it's where he stopped trying. It's where he stopped stretching for the stars like he was doing on everything else. And it's where he stopped trying to provide us with a complete movement from start to finish. Interesting. Uh, I would say this too. I, I think this might be the first album where he decided I'm gonna make what you think Prince is supposed to be, if that makes any sense. Um, in terms of, it's not gonna be uh, super adventurous, and I'm just gonna do some 
whatever, you know, this whole direction I'm going to go. I'm going to give you what you would think a Prince album needs to have on it. Now, that could be mandated by the producers of the movie. Obviously, Warner Brothers is a huge financial you know, thing at stake here with the success of that movie and what the songs need to sound like. But in terms of his career, for me as a fan, I was eh. uh, big, sexy, and sack. What do you think? You know, <clears throat> excuse me, I agree completely because coming off of the Sign of the Times Love Sexy projects, you know, you go into this, the first thing I noticed when I heard it was it sounded incomplete. Uh, the production wasn't the same. And when I saw him perform on Saturday Night Live doing electric chair, I didn't recognize the band. I'm like, who, who are these cats? You know, and you could tell it was more, I don't want to use the phrase stopgap, but it was definitely more of something that to me just looked like it was thrown together. Hmm. Author, what do you, what do you think? Um, for the most part, along the same lines, uh, it, it was a signal of a change. It was the, uh, the second band that he had splintered in three years. Uh, he even got rid of Fink. Um, I didn't care for, I remember too, I remember, uh, um, sneaking a Walkman in a chemistry class so that I could hear the, uh, the debut of Bad Dance and was just like, damn, this is such a waste of time. Um, but then when I heard the album, there were some things that I liked on the album, the future, definitely electric chair, definitely Vicky waiting. Um, but you know, it was, it was, it's right. It was a, it was a, it was a, not ill-conceived, but it was a, quasi thrown together album i mean t you know take a step back he he really needed the money he burned through a lot of money on love sexy paisley parker was not doing well uh he had a lot of staff changes going on you know he needed a hit he didn't have any hit off of love sexy he hadn't had a hit hit since kiss um and he was going through transitions you, you, you could tell the new tour was was the debut of the Game Boys. That was kind of a precursor to his Diamonds and Pearls band. Um, there, again, there was no fame. Patrice Russian was playing with him for a little while on keyboards. Mm -hmm. um, he still had Miko. He still had Levi. But there was no cohesion with the band, really. Um, yeah, you didn't really know what was going to go on. I mean, dude grew a beard, you know? <laughs> and... He, you know, he wore furry pants with no shirt and did this whole tour. You know, um, the B-sides were were all but lacking. Fill You Up, a holdover from 1982, was the only thing, the only saving grace of what we what we heads really know as the golden age of the B-side. Um, I can't stand I Love You and Me. To this day, I, I, I don't even have it digitally. What? Are um, you serious? Whoa. Arthur, what, what are you talking about? Thank you. That's I, a beautiful I, I've never song. Liked that. Yeah, and Isaac agrees with you. I've what never about liked the, that song. But Arthur, what about the harmonies on it? To me, that's like, I mean, a lot of he's got a lot of beautiful ballads out there. But I think the harmonies on "I Love You and Me" are, I don't know. To me, they're beautiful. I, I like them as well. I, that song is great to me. But go ahead. Yeah, but you know, it's just that Batman was for me a a, a stepping stone for really what was going to come next. And unfortunately, what came next was Graffiti Bridge. Okay. And that is, man, I thought Under the Trey Moon was bad, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, let me rap. Well, let's go into graffiti. Before we go into that, I'm going to just play just a little bit, just to sort of, here's the, the saving grace for me personally of that Batman album. This is the one song that I like. This is actually a, a sort of different mix of Vicky Wayne that surfaced, uh, I think, last year. So let's play a little bit of that. Oh. 
That song is hot. I've never heard that before. That's that's crazy. Yeah, that uh, found its way to the internet. I believe it was last year, and uh, it's a longer version. And and you, when you hear this version, you hear it when it goes beyond what we hear from the album. Mm-hmm. You can really hear sort of those love sexy instrumentation, you know, stuff coming through. Um, so again. Guys always got songs. So now let's get into the '90s. So the '90s. Hold on, man! I didn't oh. get my chance, bro. Well, I'm gonna give you the first on this one. If, if but I'm the lone, I'm the lone wolf dissenter <laughs> oh. for Batman. Though. Go ahead, go ahead, Uh-oh. go ahead. Okay, because I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, I like the album then and now. Although I, I'll have to, I, I didn't look at it as deeply as you guys did. Now, when the album first came out, yeah, I immediately noticed the difference. I noticed mm-hmm. the new band and the new sound. And I, there was a little, there was a small part of me that was like, I wanted more of the love sexy sound, the time sound. But I kind of dismissed it in my mind because I realized this was a soundtrack for a film. And by virtue of it being a soundtrack for the film, you know, there's going to be a lot of leeway in terms of, you know, not sounding like his normal thing. So my thought, thought process at the time was this was more maybe a one off. You know what I'm saying? That maybe this was just for the soundtrack. This type of sound was just for the soundtrack. And maybe the next album would go back to normal prints. Now, obviously, it turned out that wasn't the case. So in retrospect, yeah, it was a signpost of you know, a marker of what was going to happen. But the stuff that happened with Graffiti Bridge and the, the next two albums after that, to me, are far more egregious than what this is. Because there are quality songs on here, in my opinion. Scandalous, you know, Electric Chair. I like Electric Chair, The Future, Bat Dance. I love you and me, like he, like uh, Jahan said, it is a beautiful ballad. I don't listen to it all that much, but it is a beautiful ballad. So it's a quality album. I wouldn't hold it up to the level of the previous albums. I'm not putting it in, putting it in, in that category, but I don't think I don't think it's as bad as you guys uh, make it out to be. Well, I think in retrospect, I can say I can listen to it now, and there are songs I love. But I just remember when it first first dropped. I remember me and Tobias bought this album the same day, and we didn't play it. For at least two weeks, like just like I just didn't want, I couldn't hear. I was like, uh, you know, there's maybe well, two songs. I feel, that's how I feel. I can actually listen to the Batman soundtrack pretty much from start to finish when I do listen to it. I can't say that about the the next three albums. Okay. All to right. this day, I can't listen to any one of those three from start to finish. All right, so let's let's get into it. So the '90s, the first album of the 90s is another soundtrack album and this is to the film graffiti bridge now we're not going to review the the movie it's terrible let's just say <laughs> just put, put that out there it's a terrible movie we, we did a uh, commentary podcast on it and so there you go but the album graffiti bridge let's get into this is the first sort of an album where it's not just exclusively prince tracks he's got the time on here i remember just the idea that the time was first day coming back and that they're going to be on a Prince album. I, in my mind, I was like, well, this will be one of the greatest things ever. I, you know, before I heard that, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. no brainer. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I was hyped for the movie again, not knowing what to expect. The album, I was. I'm just gonna put my comments. We got a lot of people here. I would just say this: when the album first dropped, I was a fan of the record. I was not a fan of the chiffy chiffy and, and those elements, the scratching and the the rap stuff. I I was bewildered and it it hurt me. It irritated me because I didn't want Prince to be associated with that sort of stuff. Just because I didn't think it had nothing to do with him. But I actually used to really play the Prince tracks. Heavy. Um, Stop this feeling I got. Again, that was a syndrome of, why are these songs so short? Because you can hear they're about to go in. And they always fade out. I hated that. I was into, I'm your funky weapon. I actually really liked that. Um, So I was actually a fan of this record. And I always said, and I'll say this again, I am a huge fan of the song. Graffiti Bridge. As corny as Wait, that's, what? Wait, yes. wait, wait. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't even waste your time off of, trust me, we've been through this before. As, as corny of that song is, song. I love that song. I don't know why. I like corny type of shit. And and I was, you know, the, the, you know, the album came out before the movie. I honestly will say, I was envisioning there was going to be this huge scene at the end that they were going to perform that song and Tevin was going to wow. come in. But last thing I will say, I don't think I have it here, but there is an alternate version of the song Graffiti Bridge that does not have Tevin or Mavis. And it's really just the Love Sexy Band. That is dope. I mean, I'm not going to say it's not, it's the same sort of music, but you can really hear Prince on the guitar. He's doing his guitar stuff. And I could see how that came out of that Love Sexy sessions. Like, I actually like it. So anyway, that's why I got to say, uh, author, I know this is your favorite album, of course. <laughs> Please, help, help, what's going on? You know, I was excited about this album coming out. I remember that I somehow scored an advanced copy, an advanced Warner Brother copy of it, and saw that it had Can't Stop This Feeling I Got on it, We Can Funk on it. Now, if you remember... The, the songs are so short because they were really originally they were done as like a like a, a trilogy. Right. You had um, Girl of My Dreams right. that fed into Can't Stop This Feeling I Got that can't that fed into We Can Funk. Then I also saw that there was jo- a joint repetition on there. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, man, I'm about to get full on high quality versions of these songs. And when I heard We Can Funk, I threw the tape out. <laughs> when the album came out, I, I only, you know, I only listened to Joy and Repetition um, on principle and uh, A Question of You, which which single handedly is needs to be in anybody's top 10 Prince song list, anybody snob or not. Um, but uh, I guess Graffiti Bridge should have been or rather was what Purple Rain should have been which was if Purple Rain was a sound, and I'm not going to try to deviate all heavy, but I'm just saying if Purple Rain was, as it was originally conceived, a soundtrack, like I heard you Des Dickerson interview and he verified that, like, hey, Modern Air was supposed to be mm-hmm. on an original configuration of Purple Rain. Um, then that would have been more of a complete soundtrack and eh, maybe, maybe not, but who cares, right? Maybe a better soundtrack album for that film, aside from all that. Graffiti Bridge, if it were just a Prince album, it probably would have been better. The songs that were included 
from the time should have been included on Pandemonium to help that album. The songs for Tevin Campbell's album, they should probably put it back on Tevin. I'm just saying it would have worked better for me as you know a Prince album, even if Graffiti Bridge was still on there, <laughs> even if... Um, uh, <laughs> I'm saying, man, I mean, the, the, the fact that, look, the fact that the grand progression was left off of that album, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is unforgivable hmm. for me as a Prince fan. That you leave, you leave that off. You leave the song off that actually verifies you as a songwriter of beautiful songs. You, how the hell you leave that out and you put on Graffiti Bridge? Graffiti Bridge sounds like the end of the Muppet movie, too. <laughs> wow. That, wow. 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 Okay. Well, I mean, there's always the latest fashion. Um, Jerhan, go ahead. I actually like the album. Um, I think, in fact, Michael, you pretty much took the words out of my mouth in your description of it, save for the, I, I, the, only, the only part that we <laughs> diverge on is I don't really like the song Graffiti Bridge too much, but I remember when the album came out, um, and I was a lot younger then, but I, I like the cover art. I like the fact that it reminded me of Son of the Times in a way, if, if only for the fact that it had his face kind of, you know, only on one half of the sleeve or mm-hmm. cut off. And, and, and just looking at the track listing now, I think the first side of it is dope. I mean, again, I agree with you exactly in terms of all the, all the more hip hop influenced effects that he was trying to use. And I think this may be one of the times when he was trying to starting to, to try to keep up with everybody else rather than everybody else keeping up with him. Mm. Um, but I liked, I mean, I even like release it. I like the question of you elephants and flowers. I think that's, that's one of his best gospel songs. Yes. Um, I mean, that is a real gospel song. Um, uh, we can funk. I like it. I mean, it, it doesn't compare to the demo version, but it's, it's still good. If the demo version didn't exist, it would still be a dope track to me. Joy and Repetition, of course, is flawless. Uh, I even like Love Machine. I even like this version of Tick, Tick, Bang. Uh, you know, I, I'm not... I, I think after Tick, Tick, Bang, it really takes a massive dip. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I liked it. I like Pandemonium, too, for the record. But, yeah. All right, Big Sexy. You know, I, I look at this. I look at the, to- the Return of the Time and the Time songs on here, to me, don't sound like the time. It sounds like Morris doing, you know, like you guys said, Morris and Prince are trying to keep up with what was going on instead of doing what they do. I mm-hmm. think the time songs are just not good. When I hear Elephants and Flowers, I think of the performance in the film, and Prince has the, like, the Adam and the Ants makeup on. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? You know, uh, I hear the song Graffiti Bridge, and it makes me feel like I'm watching an episode of fame or a bad high school musical is just not good. This was a misstep all around. There are some good things in there. Um, the long version of Thieves of the Temple, mind-blowing. Love, love it. But everything else, you know, Joy Repetition is also great, but it's just overshadowed by, and I have to disagree with my fellow counselor here, because <laughs> Tick, Tick, Bang, no. No, hell no. I can't stand it. You know, this album, and we're all being very polite and not mentioning the name, so I'm going to go ahead and mention the name T.C. Ellis. 
That guy alone <laughs> is worth cringing and running for the hills behind this. He's I horrible. Forgot all about dude. You know, I forgot all about him. See, yo, yo, kid, let me rap. Oh God, no, no, I can't do it. That's my can't. man. <laughs> I'm like, dog, you're in a tunic with your name written straight down the shirt. <laughs> I'm not letting you nowhere. <laughs> but um, really, have have you heard the original Tick Tick Bang? You've heard the original, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I prefer this one to be honest with you, but I I can appreciate the original. It just sounds like that dirty mind sort of sound. But yeah, I actually I like feel it exactly the same way. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Big Ken, what's your final take on this? Well, I can say this: I I like the album mainly the Prince songs, but this album overall, I agree with most of you guys all the way down to Tick Tick Bang. I'm down with, although. The one song that derails everything for me, and you guys haven't mentioned it yet, is Round and Round. That song is freaking ridiculously whack. <laughs> it should not have been on this soundtrack. Well, if you're going to put it on a soundtrack, at least put it on the second side toward the end before reading Graffiti Bridge. Don't wreck the flow. But really what messed this album up for me is, you know, I've always, just like you guys, I suspect, all of us are hardcore Prince fans. You got to be a special kind of cat to be a Prince fan because not everybody understands where Prince is going with stuff. So by default, if you're a Prince fan, you are you, you end up defending Prince a lot of times with the things that he does. Right. Well, with this album, you got to talk about the Batman soundtrack. This was the album to me where the dynamic shifted from being a defender of Prince to being almost like an apologizer for Prince, trying to convince people that Prince still had some value in the music game because the movie sucked and it threw everything out of whack. And then he releases this soundtrack that like, like big sexy said, certain songs you hear them and they just flash back to those crazy images in the movie. And it just, for me, it, it, this was the signpost to me that pointed to a, a, a bad direction that he was going much more so than Batman. I can't listen to this album fully. I listened to Can't Stop This Feeling I Got, Question of You, Elephants and Flowers. I'm with Arthur. I like the original Weekend Funk, Joy and Repetition, Love Machine, Tick, Tick, Bang. And that's it. And that's only if I'm in the mood to hear those. Well, and let me add this song. This is a song that constant rotation when I make certain playlists. Still with Stand All Time. I actually love the performance on this song. And the funny thing is when I play it, it, it makes me think of the movie. Like, that's the one song that I feel like is a very powerful song to me in the performance and when Prince is going in and toward the end I just really I don't know if I was the age I was when I heard it the first time it just connects to me I, I, I love that track um, <clears throat> Round and Round I thought that that was horrendous as well but I find it funny that that is one of the more popular songs from mm -hmm. this project like you'll be in the store and you'll hear that song play like uh, that yeah. But this, that was the signal. That was the hit, sure. not the Prince track. This was the hit. And that, well, and I that think right there was the that song really played into sort of where music was at the time, kind of that dance sort of influence, and it yeah, kind of had yep. that. And I was like, I don't want Prince to have anything to do with that sound. <laughs> and and I I've actually never really heard the original original version of the song because I don't think it originally sounded like that. I think that was maybe a remix or a mix of it that was like, hey, this is gonna be good, so put it out there, but. And this was also the album to me, man. Like I said, when I was talking about the Batman soundtrack, I kind of overlooked the Batman soundtrack. I didn't think that much negative of it because I figured it was a one-off. I figured that he was going to come back to mm. like more of a continuation to Love Sexy and all that with the next album. 
when I got this record, that's when I knew right then and there that those days were gone mm-hmm. and possibly permanently gone. And that kind of saddened me at that point. So that, that's that's an excellent point. But when I heard Graffiti Bridge, I um, I didn't have access to a lot of bootleg material at this time, and I was I was really restricted from what I could get my hands on back then. So I didn't know that Joy and Repetition, when it was released, when Graffiti Bridge came out, I didn't know that that was a, um, uh, an 86 track. And when I heard it, I thought, oh, there he is. There he is. Mm-hmm. He's still here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and even, even the, uh, the maxi single for New Power Generation with, you know, like Love Left, Love Right, it seemed, um, it seemed darker than a lot of the material on here. And again, it was like, oh, okay, he's still, he's still trying to do something different. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. We had to, with Son of the Times, Parade, Love Sexy, you didn't have to search for any difference. It hit you like, you know, like a bullseye between the eyes. But this was the first time where you had to start, or oh, Batman and then this, was you had to really go searching and think, well, hang on, what, is he still doing it? Is he? Uh, you know, and sometimes you could say, yeah, okay, in this respect, he is, but um, only in this respect. And by the next album, all traces had more or less disappeared. Mm-hmm. The new, right. print, the new right. prints was there. Okay, well, let's, let's so we're going to move forward. Now, I will say this. Some, you guys brought it up. I think, too, this is the time when the bootlegs really sort of started to trickle to the point where just a normal person could kind of get them a little bit. They became slightly a little easier to get. Uh, I mm-hmm. think I had gotten my first bootleg cassette just before uh, Graffiti Bridge come at, came out, and I think it had the Weekend Funk, that whole three-song thing that uh, Arthur mentioned earlier, headbuster uh, when you hear that. So you, those songs are starting to trickle through. So now Prince goes on, he does the new tour, uh, actually uh, just after the album comes out, doesn't really do any of the songs from this album i know he does question of you i remember seeing um but a lot of a lot of songs from batman and from before but that period this band is working overtime in the studio making songs and go and we gets us to diamonds and pearls where in my opinion is a single po- a signal post there's a this is a new prince i think that's what big ken just said here is a new print it's different look um, here's the band. You know, the sound is a little is going to be different now. It's kind of sort of a band sort of a sound to it. Um, I think he w- it was a big push from him to let everybody know that mm-hmm. yes, I am back. You know, fully engaged. I've got these collections of songs. I've got a great band. You know, really was an emphasis on I got the best band and we can play all this sort of stuff. And yes, it has this hip hop stuff now. I'm going to go to the first single from Diamonds and Pearls. Get Off. When that dropped, for me as a Prince fan, shocked. Because of me, it was a different sound. It was like I was, I was irritated with him flirting with rap before, and I was irritated with T.C. Ellis and all that. But when I heard this, I was like, I remember I was actually in the studio when I heard this. I was like, Whoa. This guy's coming with that shit. Like, uh, what? I just couldn't believe. It. And I thought this is good. Like, and he's kind of like rapping, but it's in his Prince style, and the music was dope. I was like, you know, I, and now some of these snobs and the people I was with, oh, nigga, they ain't nothing but that LL Cool J beat wrapped around. With. Said, yeah, the, the in vogue. Yeah, it was dope. 
So I think when he the initial first single for this, Headbuster, uh, Big Sexy. What do you think? I got to co-sign this. This came out right when I was graduating college, and when I heard "Get Off," I'm like, okay, now he's back. The entire album. And I don't mean to sound this in a denigrating manner at all, but this album had so much pop crossover appeal, much more so than the previous two. Uh, Cream and Diamonds and Pearls, huge hits, you know, and Insatiable, that stayed on my Mac tape back in the day. You know, I would always, you know, lure the ladies back to the dorm with that one. Um, there's just so much good stuff on the album and it, it did mark a change because it's a different look and now that Fink was gone there was no tie back to the Purple Rain 1999 Dirty Mind era none, this is a brand new era for him and a new, new uncharted territory, now I did not care for the Game Boys but in the limited sense they were used on this album, I was okay with it and the only disappointment that I had was there was no North American tour for it, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Arthur, speak to me about Get Off. I, I just want to get some opinions on that, that track when it first came out. Um, uh, man, I, man, I'm going to sound so down about this whole thing. But it was, it was a disappointment to me. It was really? like, um, <clears throat> yeah. It, the, let, me, let me just say this. When, um, when the 12-inch first dropped, um, that was dope. The cover that he that he you know hand wrote you know which was which was essentially a, uh, a kind of a facsimile of the DJ only version where you know he had this message something I think it was released on his birthday mm-hmm. or something like that you know um, I didn't all the way dislike the the song but I had already taken hits from portions of Batman from the near entirety of Graffiti Bridge, the soundtrack, and the movie. And so now this was more of that um, disconnection, him moving on, where do I fit now, you know, um, um, you know, agreeing with, with the idea of I, I didn't like T.C. Ellis, I, you know, I don't like this Tony M, I don't like, like what he's doing with rap, you fronted on rap, you established that, you know, and now you want to do it, so are you catching up? Are you essentially trying to show us how it's supposed to be done? I hope not. Yeah, and you know, just just all of this kind of confusion and the uh, you know to kind of preempt the album coming out, uh, I had to really really put this into context about how Paisley Park wasn't doing that well. You know, he really did need some extra capital. To be able to take care of his of his business affairs, these tours that he was putting on, you know, he had long fired uh, Steve Fagnoli, who was his get it done man, and was using Al Magnoli as his manager, and then maybe some you know some Gilbert guy, and maybe he was on his own, and so there was a lot of confusion going on, I believe, in his own personal affairs, and it was starting to come out with the music, but you could see him trying to grasp. This, this new sound to address what was coming at him in the 90s, which really was hip-hop and New Jack Swing. Mm-hmm. Jerhan, get off. <clears throat> to me, that's the, that's the last time that Prince blew me away. 
when it uh, exactly again, Michael, like you said, when it came out, you know, I, I got a uh, cassette single at first, and I remember uh, a friend of mine called me and said, "Oh, you know, it's that it's that Tower Records," and I rushed down to get it, put it in the uh, put it in my Walkman. And I couldn't believe my ears; it was just like you said, a new sound. It was different than anything he'd done before, and that's that's what I loved him for back then. That. He would keep flipping it, keep coming out with something else, kept reaching for something different. And, you know, the drum sounds, the, the guitar, that it was, it was new, but it was still Prince. It was new in his, in his style. Then um, when I got the 12-inch, the again, I was, I was blown away hugely, um, particularly by the Eric Leeds flute kind of appearances. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, I know, it was just so haunting, so mysterious. And... Uh, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't really like house until then. I was all sort of funk, soul, jazz kind of guy um, and a bit of hip hop. And then, and, but then this, you know, this house style remix came in and I thought, oh my God, what's this going to say? What's this going to sound like? But, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. I really, uh, you know, my jaw dropped. And then I got the album and it was just, it was like Get Off did not belong on that album. Um, and then, you know, in, in, uh, in this respect, yeah, just like, uh, the other guys are saying it was very, very pop. It was, he was, he was trying desperately to catch up to everybody else. And, and even the ballads, um, they seemed like he was desperately trying to score radio points like diamonds and pearls. It's, uh, it's a, it's just a very adult contemporary ballad, but there's, there's no funk to it, uh, and, and, and much like the rest of the album. And, and my other beef with the album actually is the sequencing. It's just, it's all over the place. You know, you go from, you go from like a Queen kind of tribute track to a kind of pop, hip-hop track to this adult contemporary um, ballad to straight pop to sort of like right. semi-jazz, then to country and western, then you get to get off, then you get to hip-hop again. Um, I think, and, and, and one huge crime and really bizarre error of judgment that I think he, he executed on that album was, I, I, for the life of me, cannot understand why he put Claire Fisher strings on Push as opposed to Money Don't Matter Tonight. That's like, right. like why, you know, that's like putting Giorgio Armani on a tramp. You know, it's like, <laughs> why, why wow. would you do that? I've why never thought about that? that. That's classic. <laughs> You know, if, if, can, can I make a quick point? Yeah, go ahead. Just to keep it in context, you know, every every great artist goes through this period in their career where they built up a core constituency that is that is learning, you know, that's growing with that artist. So the '80s prints that are so endearing to us, you know, that took me personally from you know 10 years old to 20 to 22 years old. You know what I'm saying? And now we have this new prince that has changed to sound so drastically that I'm now alienated. I don't want to let him go because there's so much of my own life that's been personally invested in his career. But at the same time, I don't know if I can go with him. You know, the same thing happened with great groups, great artists. I mean, the Rolling Stones. Talk to a hardcore Rolling Stones fan about their 80s catalog after Tattoo You. Talk to a Stevie yeah. Wonderhead about his catalog after characters. Mm-hmm. Really, really like after what, In Square Circle? 
you know, so every great artist has this period where they increase. Now, I've personally met people who say that, yeah, I've been listening to Prince since Diamonds and Pearls. That is my dude. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, they're, and they're genuine about that. Now, I can't really have a conversation with you because you've never heard Dirty Mind. But they're genuinely locked into Prince, and their starting point was Diamonds and Pearls, that mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. So here's an artist who has alienated some of his core constituency in the name of growing his, growing his audience and expanding it, expanding his listener base, you know? Well, I would argue with you that for the people who got me into Prince... They felt the same way you felt the day around the world the day came out. You know, they felt like they were done. And, you know, particularly like my, my cousin, like she was the hugest Prince fan for I even care. I thought he was gay. Yeah, like this guy sucks. She got me into it. But when that album dropped and the videos, she was like she had nothing ever to do with it. She, it was not the Prince from Dirty Mind, Controversy, 1999, Purple Rain. It was a rap for her. And I know there's a lot of people. Who jumped off at that point? It's like this brother going off into some wild, crazy shit. I, where's the funk at? So I, I can understand what you're saying, but I think he's had a pattern of doing that sort of thing to reinvent musically itself to fit whatever the time is that he comes out. Um, I think that this album, I actually really like this album. Um, I, I this is an album I, I, a lot of girlfriends that I've had sometimes over the years who were not Prince fans. They always had this album. It was like the normal, normal people bought this album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the, the songs on here, I think they're just, I agree with everything everybody said. To me, they are great pop songs. I think this album, to me, shows that Prince is a great songwriter. Like, he can write songs to fit in this, in this particular time frame. He can write some songs that he knows people are going to like. They're gonna, they can be catchy. Uh, they have the, the certain elements. I mean, they've still got some Prince stuff in it. It's not totally devoid of it. But yeah, it is a different sort of thing. But I think he's consciously like, I got to make some hits. Like, it ain't got to be no cohesive sort of album. It's just going to be hit after hit after hit. Well, this is also the time that he, that he renegotiated his contract with Warner Brothers. Right. For a 16-album deal for, what was it, Jay? $100-something million? $100 million. Dollars. $100 million. Yeah, he would get like, like a $10 million advance yeah. on each album if he sold like three or five albums per previous so I mean, so he had an incentive to like make sure like yeah okay, let me come with some stuff. Um, before we continue, big sexy, what did you think on this album? Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, big Ken. Big Ken, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, all I can say, man, most of what you guys said, I agree with. I mean, I liked Get Off when it came out. It was shocking. You know, I was into it, especially the, the twelve inch with gangster glam and all that stuff. It was different. But I was conflicted, you know, with this whole thing because I knew, you know, part of me knew that he was try- purposely trying to, to I don't want to use the word panda, but I guess that's no, that's the best word for it. Panda to the hip hop crowd, he would get off, and he was trying to reach that audience. And then when the album came out, I liked the album for the most part, but just like you know, Arthur and Jahan kind of said, you know, it just seemed like everything was just purpose it was too too sugar-coated for my taste okay other than money i think money don't matter tonight might be the best song on that album for me you know the one with the most most quality the most consistency to what what the prince i used to know was like strolling was okay get off was great but i i, I would have preferred extended version walk don't walk was okay insatiable was a nice battle 
okay? But for everything that the album did good, it was negated once you hit Jughead. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jughead in, in and of itself is terrible. You know, it's the it, Jughead is the is the grandfather of what would we would later hear with the flow and all these other little whack kind of wanna be rap songs and it just threw it just threw everything out. All I can say is I this this might be Diamonds of Pearls might be the least listened to album in his entire catalog for me. Wow. Well let's let's put this out here too. Some of the things surrounding going on at the time of this release. Um so the first thing we get of course was get off which was followed up by a very uh, masterful 12 inch and followed up by something that hadn't really been done at the time uh a video version of the 12 inch right mm-hmm. where there was videos for every version on there god that was dope i was like whoa and then you know it sort of ends with this sort of uh, ominous or interesting sort of preview of maite which would come you know <laughs> later we had no idea what the hell he was talking about uh there is the mtv awards performance of get off uh with the you know infamous butt shot you know <laughs> uh butt shot aside i thought the presentation of the band and i thought she was dope i was like whoo prince is that's the man he's going in and then i would argue one of his greatest tv performances ever was on the arsenio hall show Oh hell yeah! Definitely. That was Definitely. amazing. Uh, that well, can't... yeah. Oh, don't no, do it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm gonna do it. Like I said, I'm breaking this show up. Damn it. <laughs> the Arsenio performance was nice. Okay, amazing. but when I watch it now and I watch it then, what, it just seemed like again, it just seemed like he was trying so hard uh, to position himself into this other audience. I mean, look at look, just picture it. You got a little short ass Prince with this typhoon hairstyle, which I hated. What? I hated that typhoon. <laughs> and he's standing there Dude. with three tall oak tree looking brothers do, doing all these Def Jeff and the Soul Brothers dance moves. Def Jeff. You know, while he, you know, he's flipping, <laughs> right? Remember that? Remember that? He's flipping off the, you know, Scoob and Scrap. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it just, it, it just, it was, a, it was a good performance, what I'm saying. It just, to me, it reeked of. Like de- I, I, I hate to say, but it almost seemed like desperation. Like you're trying to pur- purposely position yourself in this in this this side, the side that, like Arthur said before, that you that you dissed publicly before, that you were right. so much against before, and now. Well, yeah, but at the same point, there's a rap in Alphabet Street. I mean, he's had rap through yeah, his stuff. Sheila E's rapping in the yeah. Sign of Times movie. It, so I mean, as much yeah, as he you was saying, rapping on it, irresistible bitch. Sure. So again, he's way. not dissing. I don't think. I hear what you're saying, but I, I mean, you could argue that those guys are really just doing nothing different. They're doing more stuff than uh, Wally uh, and them would have done. I mean, and those guys are in Purple Rain. So they've been there say, the a, whole it's, time. It's, I, th- listen, the performance, though, the music, the band was was killing it. I, I hope you can agree to that. I mean, when I, I first heard Cream, when they done Cream on, on the show, and that was before the album came out, I was disappointed when the album came out. I was like, how come it don't sound like the performance they did on Arsenio because he was killing that. Daddy Pop. If I had heard the album version first, which I thought was kind of corny, the one on the TV was bang. I was like, whoa, it's Sly Stone. Yeah, I agree with that. That shit was crazy. Kiss. So he did Kiss on TV? Like, it was, whoa. It was a dynamic performance. I'm just saying. I agree agree with the performance part of that, what you're talking about. What I'm saying is just overall, the whole thing, that from that performance there, Mm -hmm. and I saw him in concert in 93, and, you know, that was probably, I mean, it was a decent show, 
But overall, it was a disappointment compared to other shows because it was the same. It was exactly okay. the same thing oh, that he okay. did in the Arsenio show, trying to, you know, do all. It just, it just, I don't know, man. It just to me signaled the beginning. You know, of, I, I didn't like where he was going at can, that point. Can I, ask, I just really didn't like it. Go ahead. Can I ask? Can I ask big, big kind of question here? Yes, did sir. Not, yes, sir. Did it not seem natural to you? Is that is that part of the beef? Did you did you think it was contrived or manufactured? And it yeah, didn't seem natural? that's probably a better word for it. That's, that's what. Yeah, it's probably a better word for it. It seemed contrived to me because again, I, I understand what Mike was saying. Yeah, he was doing quote unquote rap, or he could be more spoken word if you think of what he did in Alphabet Street, Irresistible Bitch. You can go on the tracks back in the day, but this, they weren't—they weren't really rapping on the Arsenio show. Right? I, 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 no, but Tony M—I mean, not Tony M. Uh, no, they, they weren't on that. No, no, Tony M was there with him, but he wasn't. He didn't have a mic yet on this one yet. That's right. That was the next album that he actually got the mic. But still, the whole point with the hip hop dancing and the typhoon and all that—it it was just, like kid and play. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. Kid and play already did that, bro. Yeah, but you know, he—he he did it the Prince style. I—I I, I, again, right. I hear what you're saying. Here's a, let me just throw this in. Let me throw this in also. Speaking of like a kid play picked up a guitar trying to, you know, sound sure. like Prince. We I agree. Like that's I agree. That's now, that's funny that somebody remind me Herbie Love, Bug, Salt and Pepper when we go on because that ties into Prince. N next, they do the performance. I don't know if you guys remember. It was, uh, it was some sort of charity event. Special Olympics. Special Olympics. Diamonds, Diamonds and Pearls. Yeah. And they Special did Diamonds and Pearls. And this is before he came... I thought that was amazing. I mean, this version, he has the guitar solo that is missing from the album. Again, I was like, whoa. Like, I, I would substitute the album version, and I was taking these performance versions and putting those in their places. Like, I put those on cassette. I thought they were amazing. I would say this. I think that the album suffers from being overproduced. And when you hear the band do the songs, you can hear, like, okay. This shit is kind of dope. Like the same thing when you hear Willing and Able when they was on the Super Bowl thing. That Willing mm -hmm. and Able performance like, was far superior than what was on that record. You were like, whoa. You know, why can't it sound like that? So I think the band and what they was doing was on another level. I just think that that album was processed down so much that it sort of took the soul out of it. And, and then, again, the other part of it is, too, the introduction of Rosie Gaines, like really being out there. She was dope. Like... Rosie was, I thought she was great to me, personally. All right. Uh, any final thoughts on this Diamonds and Pearls? And, and let's, let's segue also into, you know, what comes after Diamonds and Pearls. Obviously, the tour did not come to America for whatever reasons I don't understand. The album was successful here. Um, tour, we don't get to see that. And then he drops, and I'm moving forward. We got to move forward. Sexy MF. <laughs> And yeah. sort of a James Brown, very obvious sort of James Brown influence in there, more of rap sort of thing. But then again, the song title and is way out there, drops that video for it, you know, the video single sort of thing. Uh, author, Sexy MF. What, what do you think? Okay, so here's where it all just goes right off the rails. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> right off the rails. The... Okay. I have tried more than any other Prince album. I have tried to like this album the most. Um, Sexy Emma, I liked the track. I thought it was bold. I thought it was aggressive. I thought it was a good follow-up to, uh, to Diamonds and Pearls as an album. I mean, don't get me wrong. 
at this time in my life, I I had yet to find Prince unlistenable until I got to this album. Since then, I've owned this album three times, and I have thrown this album in the trash three times. Personally. <laughs> I can't get through the album. But and I, I can't necessarily quantify my reasons, you know, for that, other than to say I'm blaming I'm putting it all on my tag. <laughs> I'm putting it all on my tag. I'm putting it all on the idea of when keeping it real went wrong. <laughs> oh, too we've much. Got the spirit child. We've got seven. I still don't know what the hell seven means. I have no idea. Seven what? Angels? Spirits? What? What, what is it? <laughs> I have no idea. But I'm not answering your question. <laughs> sexy. I thought I thought sexy enough was bold. I wanted to like it. It was hard to get through, you know, but I kind of got through it until the album came in and that was something else. Um, he was still, you know, let's not forget. I mean, he's, he's trying to stay, he's trying to stay relevant, but at the same time, he's got a lot more self-confidence, a lot more self-confidence than he had in the eighties. In the eighties, a lot of the music that we really resonate with, you know, was a prince who was, uh, uh, insecure. Um, he was always, a lot of his music dealt with themes of, of, of desire. Why, uh, you know, something in the water, you know, why don't you love me the way that I love you? Irresistible mm-hmm. bitch. You know, I just let myself get dogged out. Loneliness. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Loneliness. Um, um, uh, a sign of the times, which was, which was, uh, an open book of his relationship with Susanna Melvoin. He wanted to get married that that didn't happen. You know, she broke it off, but now we've got, a prince that's more confident with himself. He's he 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 very well may have near single handedly re- renegotiated uh, the largest contract ever paid to an artist in Warner, Warner Brothers. So, what does a confident prince sound like? What is a prince who <laughs> seems to be who believes that he's now in control of his own destiny? What does that sound like? That sounds like diamonds. That sounds like the simple album. That sounds like well, that sounds like the most beautiful girl in the world. That sounds like one eight hundred new fuck. You know, where he's now not just he's he's always he's always sort of made his own world and invited you in. But now he's making his own world, calling you in and keeping you there. Like if you can't roll, if you can't roll with yellow pants with my ass out, then you can't be here because that's that's the line right now. You're either going to deal with this and you're not. And that's what those albums really this really the symbol album. That's what that really spoke to me on. If you're not on this, then you just can't ride because this is where I'm going. All right. Let me I'm gonna go around and I'm gonna throw this also in the in the mix. So we got sexy MF was the first thing. And of course that can't really go too far because it's, you know, motherfuckers in the title and the lyric. So the the next really sort of official first single, My Name is Prince. Oh Lord. Now, <laughs> now this for me is where it all changes. I'm gonna go to Big Ken. Thank you very so, much. Because I was so hoping you would go, go into go into uh, those songs. You can go always go into the album as well. So there you well, go. I mean, it's, it'll be short and sweet because it's pretty much along the same lines of what Arthur just said. I mean, but I would say my take ain't the reason where this thing went bad. Where this thing went bad is you had an overindulgence of Tony M. Yep. In and of and throughout this record, and it's just too much. I mean, you bought you bought a Prince album, not a Tony M album. 
And it just seemed like, you know, you guys did a show on the snobs where you were talking about experimentation and indulgence. I think this album is indulgence. Anytime you go and you put on a policeman hat with gold chains covering your face <laughs> and a microphone-shaped gun, you indulging like a motherfucker. Okay, so I mean, there are good, there are some decent tracks on this album. Okay, let's just state it. I mean, "Love to the Nines is great. "Sexy MF" you talked about. Um, I like "Sweet Sweet Baby" a lot. I think it's a beautiful song. Uh, "Damn You" is a nice ballad. Um, Seven is, is pretty pretty nice, and "God Created Woman" mm. is good. There's there's a handful of nice tracks on here, but it just the whole Florida album just doesn't work because you do the song and then you have this whole stupid thing with Kirstie Alley as a reporter and then Prince doing this you know he don't want to answer questions and she getting frustrated like what the dude what 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 is this you know what I'm saying it's just I th this is another album this this along with Diamonds and Pearls I can't listen to. And the, the funny part is, is when it came out, I was the prototypical Prince apologist. I was running around telling people, oh, this is the new shit. This is the new hotness. Prince is back. Prince is back. <laughs> down, deep down, I knew I was lying. This was not hidden. <laughs> you know, it just, it just, it just wasn't hidden. You know, so I, this is, this, this right here is the, the, the period, I think the low, the lowest of the low point, in my opinion, of the 90s. The 90s as a whole started off kind of bad with these first two albums. Well, you can include, well, first three, if you include Graffiti Bridge, and then it kind of picks up after that. But it's just, it's just, this is, an, you know, just indulgence in my opinion. It's not, not cohesive at all. Too much Tony. Yeah. So <clears throat> my name is Prince. I think that song is complete. That's the worst Prince song ever, I think. Um, the, the fact that he's like, it's a really aggressive sort of sort of rapping and musically it's just terrible. The video, the presentation, I, I was actually, I didn't understand like who co-signed. I was like, was there a joke behind this? Cause I couldn't understand like how he actually really thought this was good. I remember hearing about this song before it came out. Um, you know, the great magazine that used to come out called it was Uptown Magazine. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Was it Controversy? Yeah, it was two. I think it was controversial. Both of them were sort of hyping this up and they would talk about, they would review shows where he was starting to do this song. And I was like, just listening from the title thinking, my name is Prince is probably a cold track. Like, I can't wait to hear this. When I first hear this, I was appalled. I was like, this is everything I'm against for Prince. And it's not good. Even if I like get off, he, he just rap, but it was great. I mean, it was like, okay, it was a great song. This was a terrible song. I thought anybody could see that this was a terrible song. I remember going back and reading other books where they talk about, you know, the meetings of like Prince wanting to put this song out as a single. And they're like, no, like Prince, this is actually not good. But again, he's that sort of dude that that just going to make him want to do it. And, but this song is terrible, and I and I remember they did this on uh, Arsenio, and he went back again, trying to recreate the greatness of that first performance. Absolutely horrible. I, I, uh, this tainted me for a while when I heard this, and I act like to me, I act like this song does not exist. I just think this song is really, really bad, and I can't understand why he thought this was worthy. Like uh, I'm take the streets back, or I don't, I don't know what he was thinking, but. Um, Jerhan, what do you think of this this love symbol album? No, I agree with everything that everybody said. Uh, 
I mean, My Name is Prince, you're right. It might be the worst song ever recorded, let alone Prince song. Uh, what about Mr. Happy? What about Mr. Happy? <laughs> I, I can take no, that no, before no. I take this. That, that, I don't know. That's, that's pretty horrific, too. <laughs> but I think even, even the lyrics in My Name is Prince is like, My Name is Prince and I am funky. And it's almost like he didn't write another line after that, which is like, My Name is Prince and I am funky. And I have to tell you that because there is nothing funky right. about this track. And you wouldn't know it unless I told you. Mm. It's, um, it's just just terrible, terrible, terrible album, terrible song. I mean, there's some, there are some nice points on it. Sexy MF is, I think I agree with Arthur's view that I'm in two minds about it. There's elements to it. Love to the Nines, I think, is has potential. I think the morning papers, the... The outro, the guitar solo at the end is is pretty good. Blue light, I'm I'm not a hater of blue light. I know a lot of people hate that. Um, the outro to the Continental, um, but a uh, God created woman. Yep, you're right. That's a good track. But other than that, just terrible. What's interesting though is that the reviews at the time I remember were really really good. Um, I remember Rolling Stone gave it like four out of five. Q gave it four and a half, I think. Um, uh, All Music, I think, gave it four or five. Uh, Robert Criscow even gave it like um, four or five stars. So I never really understood that. But I think this to me represents, that's it, it's a corpse. There is no pulse left. It's gone. Yeah, just even I just thought the look of Prince was so ridiculous. At this point, you know, you mentioned the typhoon and all that. I think it just took on a ridiculousness to it. And, you know, he had that weird sort of cut beard on his face. You know, it was like the real long lines on the side. It was the single line. What the fuck? It's just irritating. Uh, big, sexy, and sack. Take us home on this love symbol album. You know, um, you mentioned he was trying to take back the streets. He never had the streets. That was never his <laughs> audience. And, you know... I, I enjoy elements with this album. I remember the tour when it came to San Francisco at the Civic Auditorium. I loved it. And it was really done in a rock opera sense. The first half of the show was the new stuff, which was lukewarm at best. And then the second half was the hits, and he blew the place up. You know, so it was just too much Tony M. And I'm in the minority here, but I like the hat with the chains. I may rock that in court one day. I don't know. But... <laughs> music that stands out like Continental and Damn You I turn around and I see arrogance and I see the flow what? too much Tony M I think there was a portion in I want to say the dance music sex romance book where Fink was quoted as saying Prince was being so influenced by Tony I think this is the result of that it's just too much Tony M, even more so when we get to gold, nigga. It's just like too much Tony M. Dude, you're not good. Let it go. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I think, too, a lot of it is what was going on at the time musically. You know, hip hop definitely doing its thing. You know, a few months later, I think The Chronic came out uh, in, in 92 as well. So, I, you know, his whole sort of posturing of the gangster, gangster glam, right? I mean, that whole sort of thing. He's trying to be that, but at the same time, he's Prince. Like, you, you know, there's only so much hardcore you're going to be. You know, yeah, you got the gun mic, 
But at the same point, I mean, you have a perm, you have eyeliner on with the high heel boots. You're not going to be, like you say, you're not going to have the streets. That audience is not for you. You have your own situation. I will agree. I think it was author who said, this is the prince where extreme confidence. He was a true rock star at this point and knew it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just everything about him was very over the top. Uh, if you look at what's going on behind the scenes, he's got all these women and things. You know, we didn't mention the whole, t uh, those two women that he had. You know, his whole presence was that he was doing some sort of menage a trois, right? Like, he's <laughs> not only am I doing this music, but I got, the guy got two chicks. I got two white girls, okay? Right. Like, so do what you do. His whole thing was already on this other sort of stuff. Mixing that with some weird quasi Middle Eastern princess story of a young girl that he's bringing up and she's about to hit 18 so I can tap that. It, it was all over the place. Like, I don't know what I know what he was thinking, but it just it was crazy. So and then he does his tours during this period. And isn't he doing like the act one? Uh, yeah, act, act one two, and act two. sort of yeah. thing. And, you know, I never saw those shows. I just got to read about them. But they just look like, okay, you got the Game Boys going ham on the mic. And it's just all over the place. But all of this sort of accumulates to the point where he's got problems going on with Warner Brothers, right? It's starting to be a little, something starting to seep through. Like, there's something not right here. And that brings us to what is next here. And so let's keep moving on. Well, I will add, too, that after the Love Symbol album, uh, the Gold Nigger album comes out, uh, you know, sold at concerts, and I believe at his store that he had at Paisley Park. But that was straight on, MPG, Tony M spotlighted, you know, rap. The, this, the, the title alone is absurd for Gold Nigger. So he, obviously you have heavily influenced by, again, what's going on in music, in, in black music. He thinks that, okay, I got to come as we niggas. You know, we got to come like that, you know. Um, now, I will say there's maybe a couple tracks in there that I really sort of like. Uh, I think they're funny. Uh, I think black, black MFs in the house <laughs> and, and Prince is sort of rapping in this sort of country ridiculousness. Mm. That's sort of hilarious to me, but it, that album is ridiculous. I mean, I don't know if you guys you guys anything to say about Gold Nigga at all. Mm. Nothing. Guess who the, the the production <laughs> the the the, uh, the production on the Guess Who's was it Guess Who's knocking on the door or something? Mm -hmm. That hook is kind of tight, but like I said, too much Tony M. It's just that's the Tony M album, as far as I'm concerned. But do you do you guys think that if Tony M didn't exist, or if he hadn't met if he hadn't met Tony M, do you think his material would be any different at this point? Like, are we laying all the blame at Tony's door? I don't think it'd be any different, personally. I, I disagree. I disagree. I think Tony was really an influence because Prince has shown over the years that sometimes someone, I'm not trying to rip anybody today, but someone will get in the camp and, and either knowingly or by implication, guide the music. That happened with Larry Graham, it happened with Tony, mm -hmm. it happened with Sonny T on, uh, on Exodus. So it does happen. Yeah, it's nothing wrong with that being influenced by that. I mean, every musician is influenced by somebody. You know, even some of the greatest artists get influenced by, you know, other people. Hell, Miles Davis was known for a certain mm -hmm. style and he got hooked into, 
you know, James Brown and Herbie Hancock and those guys, and his direction changed. So there's nothing wrong with that. It just seems like the guy that Prince chose to be inspired from in this particular time took him down the wrong direction in this case. And I would think, too, I just think Prince's overall lack of respect for hip-hop is the overall problem. Like, if yeah. he really just said, you know what, I don't really know this music. Yeah, I think in his mind, you can look at the Black album, I'm a musician. I'm Prince. These cats ain't doing nothing. Like, I could do this. This ain't nothing. You know? And I think that's his... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's the attitude of a lot of musicians at that time. Um, and, you, you know, he was sitting between... He was sitting between a rock and a hard place. I mean, when not, with what we're talking about, he was, man, it was NWA's Niggas for Life. That was number one when Diamonds and Pearls was, was, was getting put out. And, and for, the whole, for the whole gold nigga thing, it was the chronic. Mm -hmm. he, he was in a difficult, difficult position. Mm -hmm. And we're at the advent of Bad Boy. We're at the advent of Wu-Tang Clan. It wasn't going to get any easier, you know? So, yeah, I think that the combination of the competition, A, B, his lack of respect for hip hop and see the fact that he's got this multi-million dollar contract with Warner Brothers that he's got to fulfill. And as far as he's concerned, he, they're tripping. And as far as Warner's concerned, he's tripping. <laughs> Which leads us to, could you be? So, beautiful girl in the world. Here's Prince, he comes to Warner Brothers. He's like, hey, I got this album called Come. Ready to go. And then also I got this other thing called the gold and that's ready to go. And can y'all put that? Hell no. They're like, no. <laughs> uh, we're not putting two records out same time, month no, slow down. Let's maybe let's do a greatest hits sort of thing. You know, let's let's regroup. And so he probably I'm just speculating, I would imagine at this point he just takes out his I'm gonna take that as a diss. It's a quote and pop. Take that as a diss. Goes out. He's gonna. They let him put out "Beautiful Girl in the World." Puts that song out. Song becomes a nice hit for him. It's like, whoa, what do you know? And he changes his name. Now I'm gonna throw another signal post. I think this is another point in the history of Prince, where it's like, boing, things change. A couple things change. One, the band gets. Some people get deleted. The band gets a little smaller. Prince changes his look again. This is the last time he really actually changes his look. Changes his look. He's got the whole Haley Berry thing going on. And they put this song out and it is successful for him. And I will say that there was a concert that he does that sort of signals, hey, this is some new shit coming. It was the All-Star Weekend uh, performance they did at Paisley Park when the All-Star game was in Minnesota. And Prince does a concert, and he debuts a lot of these new songs. Uh, this, this, this concert accumulates into the sort of mini-movie called The uh, Beautiful Experience uh, that he does, and it has Nona Gay and stuff. So this stuff drops. This is 94. Uh, I, I think this is the signal of, yes, I have a new style, and the music was a little different. He's rapping again on a number of tracks, uh, specifically Days of Wild. And now, the band's more of a funk based sort of stuff. They're actually doing covers of you know, Larry Graham stuff, right? It's the first time he's like, whoa, doing some Larry Graham, okay. 
And again, I think this is a point where his music changes again. It is not the same as those past two previous albums. And he's dropping, in my mind, when I first see this movie, The, the Beautiful Experience, heat. I was like, whoa, this guy is dope. Like when I hear them do uh, that Tevin Campbell song, shh, and he jumps in with that solo, I was done. I was like, why isn't this out? I got, what's going on? When they show, uh, acknowledge me on that show. This is dope. I mean, it's in the New Jack swing sort of thing, but it's Prince style, got the horn. Dope. What the fuck is going on? Uh, when they do race, that video's on there. Whoa. Like, <laughs> this is dope. Uh, Days of Wild, I thought it was filthy. Like, like, he's rapping again, but I can accept this. I know it just seemed like he had gotten better or something. I thought it was brilliant. I was like, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Now, you know, it doesn't come out for a while, but if you guys have seen that and seen it in retrospect, speak to me. I'm going to go to Big uh, Big Ken first. What, what, what was going through your head when you saw these songs, you heard these songs? Well, unfortunately for me, I wasn't privy to, I didn't get a chance to check out that little film at, at the time that it was released. I caught it later. Right. So I I just came into this stuff when he on an album by album basis, when he released, you know, come as you know, okay. come first. Mm-hmm. I I love this period. Now, now and you, you and I have talked about this at length on the show before. You guys know how I feel about this period. I, I think this period from 94 between 94 and 95, the stuff that appears on come gold experience, chaos and disorder. And some of it actually ends up on crystal ball. I, I love this period because I love the cohesiveness of that band. Like you said, there's a more of a, a bottom to it, a little more. But that's a lot to do with Sonny T on, in, in there on bass, some more tight-knit crew. You know, I'm not going to put them up above the revolution, but I'm just saying they had a nice rapport with each other. He seemed energized in, in the songs that he was putting out. You can tell just by the prolificness of it, the, the abundance of a material that he was writing at the time he was coming up with. He was just on this new thing. And, you know, remember also at this period in time, you know, Exodus, when he did the Exodus album with the MPG, which is basically him doing that same crew, doing that same thing. He was doing that Glam Slam Ulysses, uh, uh, was it a play or something like that? Some type of uh, play, some kind of production he was doing with all basically the music that comprised the Come album. He had the Undertaker thing going on. So this whole period to me is great. To me, this this signal maybe a possible resurrection to to the Prince that I used to know at this point. And you know, I was glad that he jettisoned, you know, the Tony M and the the Typhoon and all that. And yeah, he was still rapping, like you said, on Days of Wild. But you're right, I could accept that a little bit more because it did seem a little bit better. You know, I still cringe at certain things that he would say. You know, and certain, you know, the certain delivery of certain lyrics are just kind of like, ah, you're not quite there yet, bruh. But, you know, okay, at least he's getting a little bit better. Okay. So overall, I like this period a lot, man. I, this this period, I listen to quite frequently still to this day. All right. And in fairness, I, I, let's include come into this. I'm going to go to Jerhan, but let me throw this in there before I say that. So, you know, again, and this is, again, bootlegs are really starting to be out there at this point and just before it come you know that movie had came out i think it's shown on japanese tv a lot of these songs started trickling on in, in the internet it's very early starting to 
peak its head and the Prince community is coming up. So a lot of these songs are sort of out there and he's doing a lot of shows. Now I will say, just before Come, I had in my brain what the Come album was going to be like because again, he's already put a lot of these songs out there in whatever form of fashion. So I'm like, oh, Come album is going to be so ridiculous. It's about to be, it's going down. Come album comes out. I'm going to go to Jerhan. Jerhan, what did you think when you first heard Come? Now, I don't know if you had a chance to see the beautiful experience or whatever, but your answer will tell us what, what was your take on Come? I hated it. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I hate every song on this album. I hate, yeah, I hate the concept. I think he's, he's at his most... I, it's like he's very, very confident, but he's also very, very self-conscious at the same time i think that some of the songs are in fact grotesque like i think come the track is is you know the outro or whatever is where you hear all those extra kind of you know noises it's just grotesque and <laughs> you know he's he's never you know there's been times when he's been um in your face for example on subjects like masturbation or incest or whatever but i always felt there was at least a veneer of panache that he would that he would throw onto it, but over here it was just, I don't, it was just so bottom feeding, so basic to to me. I I really thought I flicked it on and then I just threw the album away. And it, it, in the interest of full disclosure, I didn't hear it again until um, I knew that we were going to be on this show. And I thought, well, wow. I, I better I better listen to it again in <laughs> oh, case in case I missed something. And I, I, for me and my taste, I didn't miss anything. I, I, I called it right on the first day. And in fact, I mean, I, I didn't like anything. I can definitely talk about the other albums, but I didn't like anything um, at all on any of these albums really until Emancipation. I think it was like two tracks on The Gold Experience. Wow. So I'm sure we'll get to that. But yeah, for me, no, it's a, it's a no-no. Very interesting author. We should take on Kim. I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. When I first heard Come, I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, well, first of all, Let It Go, the return of Eric Leeds. I understand that he was on Get Off, but yeah, whatever. The return of Eric Leeds on flute, um, uh, a Prince programmed beat, a Prince beat. Um, it was, uh, it, it, it was, it was a breath of fresh air. It, 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 it did signal the paring down of the, of the band for me. Um, it, it signaled, now I'm kind of getting into the actual album come, it signaled uh, a return to a more uh, rock, guitar, drum, bass, trio-oriented type of music, a little less keyboard, which definitely resonated, uh, just definitely resonated with me. Um, I, didn't, uh, I didn't mind space, but didn't necessarily care for it. Uh, didn't particularly like the one with uh, race. Don't really like race. Um, did like Papa. Um, um, liked, gee, one other one that I kind of, you know, it's going to be weird. John's going to be probably roll his eyes into the back of his skull, but I actually liked Solo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Why. I really don't know why, but it was like. I, I mean, I, that I, had potential, but. Right, but it was like I liked solo, but 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 the earlier songs, um, there were these two instrumentals. One was uh, loose, loose, I, loose. I liked if it was an instrumental. It, it didn't need any vocal on it. Definitely not that vocal that was on there. 
And then there was the one pheromone that was used. I first heard it as the, the, the theme for that BET show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. Uh, I like that genuinely as is. But um, also keep in mind, this is the same kind of time span in 1994 that he had that interactive video, that CD-ROM mm-hmm. that, was, that was released. And a lot of these songs and snippets of these songs from the Come Project bled into there along with an alternate endorphin machine and um, uh, interactive that was a great 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 song with that unit the 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 cohesion between prince's guitar sunny t's bass and michael bland as a drummer was fabulous i mean michael bland is the precursor for my favorite prince drummer of all time which is john blackwell Hmm. um he just needs that power with that you know with that kind of music um but it was a it was kind of a, a, a standalone record for me one that I that I personally like, but I knew I knew that it wasn't a great record. You know what I mean? But it was a great record for me. Hmm. Okay. Uh, big sexy and sack. What do you think? You know that time period. Uh, we didn't have the internet really with all the information. I had the interactive CD-ROM. I still have it. Um, but I remember I was getting the bootlegs too, and I would go into Berkeley up onto Telegraph at Amoeba Records and they would have just a treasure trove. And I picked up Interactive Night and that was the first time I heard Days of Wild. I'm like, okay, what is this? Where is this? Then I just stumbled across Come one day at Tower back here in Sacramento and I played it. I'm like, fuck is this? You know, there was no buildup. There was no publicity for it there was no support a couple of songs i like space i like the guitar solo and loose and i i'm with uh jahan is the the ending of come really i mean come on man that's that's just some bullshit you know he did the same thing on let's pretend we're married with all the sounds same let's thing pretend the, no let's pretend we're married had music and a theme built up around. No, I'm not talking about the music. I'm talking about the sounds. The, the, you know, if you listen yeah, to no, the 12 I mean, after, I, I girl, agree. You get it, I get agree. It you've, got, you've got Lady Cab Driver as well. I agree. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. There was, it, it was like pornography on Calm. It was just like, it was just so low rent to me. And what's funny about that is that's vanity, right? Like, I mean, that was from back in the days. That, that you, right, right. You know, from Vibrator, right? Yeah. Um, so the Come album, you know, my perspective on the Come album, I was highly disappointed when I heard it because it didn't have all those songs. that I, I mean, it didn't have Acknowledge Me. I was like, where, where is Acknowledge Me? It, it didn't. Uh, now, the version of Come on there, I love. I think that is brilliant. But the version that come that was on the movie is totally different, like almost like a house sort of a thing. Um, it didn't have Days of Wild. Like, right. I was like, where's Days of Wild? Like, where's, where's, you know, I hate to say where was uh, now? Because, you know, I just have those live versions. Where's all these songs? But the other thing that that album didn't have, it didn't have prints and in terms of the presentation of it. Because there was no videos released, right? Like, let it go. He didn't support that. He didn't even play. He didn't even play it. He ain't never saw him. He didn't know TV or, at all that I can think yeah. of. The art direction was terrible. I mean, those right. photos were from um, that book, the Sacrifice of Victor book. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'd like to let it go. 12-inch cover. That was kind of tight. He's on the roof somewhere, like Romania or somewhere. Where the hell he is? 
But uh, you know, he's got this cane and shit. I don't know. What that and he's and he he's, he kills himself on the cover, right? I mean, he's saying that he died. <laughs> Princess right, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so this whole, like, it was just very weird. It's like, what sort of shit is this? You know, I, I well, see, that's what happens when mom and dad fight in front of the children. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You get, you get, you don't know what's going on. You know, something's going on, you know, but mom's trying to really mask it, but dad's acting up, and then they switch sides. Mom's now starting to trip, you know, and so. So, so Arthur, who, who's mom and who's, who's dad here? It's Prince, Prince's, Prince's dad, right? Yeah, I think so. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's you know, he, dad wants to go off on his own and, and try new things because he's just not love anymore. And mom's like, look, you're not really thinking of the big picture here. We got children. We got we got stuff we got to take care of. You know, let's see this through and then deal with it after the fact. And and, uh, I, you know, I'm not man. I don't know. It was just a weird time, man. I mean, uh, Warner puts out this 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 ad to to promote gold experience sort of uh you know mocking prince for doing you know the 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 beautiful experience and then prince returns fire and, you know and they're spending money right because they're running these ads in billboard right right um and so you know as the as the forget the consumer because <laughs> you know prince you know i mean at a certain time there was a part where prince was like not relevant at all well, I think and at this time, he's probably not to people. They don't really understand what's going yeah, on. The way that I see it, you know, Prince's relevancy peaked right at the, right at the uh, what do they call it, the Love Symbol album, you know, the, the Symbol album, and, you know, fell off during the hits and the B-sides. And, uh, and let me just say that, 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 the, that the release of, of Pink Cashmere is probably the, one of Prince's best slow jams ever. Saving grace of that release. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, come um, the the re the re-release of the of the Black Album, mm-hmm. um, uh, the Gold Experience. I, I, outside of uh, I Hate You being a single, nobody. I don't I don't think that was really a, a big deal for anybody. You know, and it wasn't until he did that. I know we're, I don't mean to jump too far, but I'm just saying that reappearance on on Oprah brought him back into the public eye. Sure. And now he was this new fresh faced. You know, uh, um, um, maybe he's a grieving father, Prince, that really is a human being, you know, but that but the periods between 1993 and 19 and, and 1990, let's say seven. Oh, no, 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 nobody cared about Prince. Well, and, and I, you know, I think it's a conscious effort on Prince's part to like turn his nose and turn his back to like, I'm not going to be seen like, you're not I'm not going to be on. I'm not going to help sell these records, which I think were disruptive for him. But I mean, he he adopts this tour tour sort of thing. He's doing his appearances behind a veil on his face. I think it's all his sort of nah 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 sort of you know pouting thing against right. Warner Brothers and and his fans are feeling the brunt of that, and he pays right. the price of it. But I think musically though, in terms of the music that he made, I actually think the music that he made was brilliant. The fact that thing, I think the problem was for him, by the time these records come out, one, he doesn't want Warner Brothers to succeed, and two, he doesn't care at this at the time when these albums drop and come and the Golden Experience comes out, he's so far removed from them, he doesn't care, and he's not going to support the records. But if you go back and look at the stuff, I think that this great work. Uh, I want to play another thing. I mentioned earlier about Herbie Lovebug, Salt and Pepper. It was obviously something going on with Prince and Salt and Pepper to the point that he was really a fan of theirs, or 
I don't know what the deal was, but there's two apparent, there's two times when he covers their songs. And both both are dope to me. And I'm gonna speak about the Glam Slam uh, birthday concert that he did. I think it was like three nights and they were simulcast between the clubs and satellite or something like that. But he did these performances, uh, concerts, three different nights and there's brilliant stuff going on. One of the performances that always sticks with me is he does uh, Simon Pepper's Salt and Pepper's Shoop, which was, I guess, big at the time. And I don't know if you've guys seen this, but he has the band turn on sort of like the loop of the song, the beat or whatever. And he first he starts rapping over it. Like he immediately pulls out some paper and is literally reading off this paper. But then he gets his bass guitar and he goes in on the. That's like when he really starts pulling that eye, the, the one eye bass out. And he content, commenced to funk the hell out of that track. And, you know, he's got Sonny T and all those guys up there. Uh, Tommy Barbarella and them on the organ. I mean, that stuff is ridiculous. I don't know if you've seen that, but madness. That's why I was like, this band is sick. Like, almost reminds me of like what um, you would hear D'Angelo and these guys and the Roots do later. He was kind of doing that, but then he had like sort of breakbeat sort of stuff underneath it. I, I thought it was very interesting. Um, the other one is, and I'll play a little bit here, during that All-Star Weekend show that I talked about, he closes his show with Salt and Pepper's song. I don't know if they were supposed to come up on stage, whatever the case may be, but I just thought that it was hilarious and actually like in that real quirky sort of Prince way, very sort of funky the way he does it. So I'll play a little bit of that just to illustrate. Mike, Go ahead. Mike, before you play it, yes, um, let me ask Jahan this. Uh, during this time... Prince was overseas in, in Europe a lot. I have footage of him mm-hmm. on, the, on the White Room and uh, other things. He would do interviews with Veronica Webb. Was his music over there uh, more relevant than it was here during that time? Yeah, I think I think certainly because I remember in the in the 80s, it was really a small group of us who liked Prince or, or, or who loved Prince. You had to be you had to be into soul and funk to really dig him. But then I remember in the 90s, a lot of people in my social circle started liking him, even those who weren't into soul and funk. Um, so it, I think he definitely broadened his appeal in Europe at that time. Okay, that's a good question. Actually, I'm going to back it up and play just a little bit of this. This is another thing here. Uh, I'll just let it play.
I'm going to jump ahead to him. Just to, I play that stuff to say like he was just like all over the place musically doing different stuff. Uh, I don't, Jerhan, I'm curious, have you heard this stuff before? No, I haven't heard that before. I'm gonna get I'm you a copy of this. I think. You thank you, man. Uh, <coughs> Go ahead, sir. Uh, if we're passing out copies, you know. <laughs> hey, just give me the title. I think I have that buried in my stack somewhere, but just give me the title. Yeah, up. it's. It, Somebody's got me on speaker or something because we got an echo going on here. Check, check. There we go. All right. So, um, again, there was some amazing performances during that time. Um, so we talked about Come. You know, what comes after Come actually is the Black Album. You know, here we are years later. Warner Brothers releases this. And, of course, this is part of Prince's deal to sort of kind of get out of his contract. And they're allowed to release this album briefly. Uh, author, what, what did you think when the Black Album was officially released? Well, I was happy about it in that I had a I had a pristine CD copy. Um, I had had the copy. I had uh, what was it? I had a cassette copy that was given to me by Mika Weaver's sister in 1988, and. So I, I knew the Black Album. I was surprised about what was coming. Um, the quality of the CD version um, was was pretty similar to the quality of my original cassette. So I was kind of geeked that I actually had the real thing, you know. But uh, it 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 was um, bittersweet because the Black Album single handedly made Prince the most bootlegged artist. Probably uh, its only his only competitor was probably either Springsteen or definitely you know the Grateful Dead, and it kind of stripped away more of the mythic quality of what makes Prince Prince. That um, very few people had actual copies of it. Uh, it was also bittersweet because even though it was branded a limited edition, and it was, uh, I don't remember five thousand copies were were made uh but because of the desensitized prince that we had now with all this with all this open infighting with warner brothers you know no one no one cared no one was that concerned that this album was finally coming out um and it did not get the recognition that it ultimately deserves in my opinion yeah, i would agree with that big king what do you think big king 
uh, about the Black Album, pretty much the same. I mean, I was glad to get pristine copies of, you know, the the songs. I mean, I had one of those bootlegs I bought in some mom pop record, local record store near where I live and made do with those for a while. But I, I just think, you know, it was kind of like too little, too late. You know what I mean? I mean, that should have been released earlier and then for it to come out then after, you know, I hate to say it at this point, Prince, I don't want to call him an afterthought, but, you know, his his stock, so to speak, in, in the music world had dropped at this point. You know what I mean? Because he was doing the whole slave thing and it was news about his fight with Warner Brothers. And it's overshadowed everything, just like Arthur said. So, it, you know, it, it was bittersweet. That's the best way to describe it. It's bittersweet. All right, I'm, 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 well, Jerhan and uh, Big Sexy, do you have anything to add on the Black Album? Not me. You know, it was, like you said, too little too late. I remember seeing it in Berkeley, and, you know, it was like the myth was bigger than the actual release. Because when the release came out, you know, he, he was six years past that, so it was just, it really wasn't that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same, same for me. I mean, I love the album. It's one of my favorite Prince albums. Top three for me, but... Um, but yeah, in 1994, um, slightly different context. So yeah. All right. The next, so the next thing that comes out, not necessarily a Prince album, but I think it's important in this time frame, was the MPG Exodus album, and you know this had you know, the Good Life, uh, uh, Count the Days, Cherry Cherry, and sort of. Thing. I remember buying this. This was probably one of the first sort of import albums that I really seeked out to buy. Uh, because it, did, it was not released in America, but I remember getting the CD, and I used to play this heavy. We got a lot of background noise going on. Somebody's moving around or something. But I used to play this album heavy. Like I thought that the good life. I was like, oh, here's Prince again. He's got another. This would be a good song. Like this song could be dope. Like I don't understand. Uh, Return of the Bump Squad. You know. Uh, Jerhan, again, this is one of those albums I believe that actually came out mm. uh, in, in your area. Did you have this? Did you remember? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, uh, again, I, I don't like the album. I don't like um, I, I don't like the songs on it or the production. But one thing I will say about it, and I noticed it at the time as well, was the musicianship is is on point. You know, there's not much you can say against that. But I think just production and and sound-wise, style-wise, and composition, it just sounds too polished for me. It's like this whole period to me, even, even the stuff that I like in the period, like, for example, Emancipation or, um, you know, right up until, right up until the Rainbow Children, um, it, he had lost his rawness. You know, he'd lost that that edge, I think, that edge in his sound where it didn't sound perfect. It sounded like some of the times it's a badly recorded album in many ways. But I think to me, it was the musicianship was great, but everything else, including the sound and the whole aesthetic was um, just too clean and pristine. And um, it it wasn't him again to me. Uh, Arthur, what did you think about the album? Uh, honestly, I had not, I have never heard that album. Interesting. I heard about it and I, ne- I know, I know, right? It's like, man, why, okay, why are you even on this show? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you you so, can have um, my copy. Uh, <laughs> my copy, man. But, um, um, you know, truth be told, 
this this period for me reminds me of um, this. This is probably not the best analogy, but you know, Jimi Hendrix's Electric Ladyland ex- sessions, mm-hmm. where he had a lot of there was a lot of recording that was going on with a diverse body of musicians, you know, diverse sounds and styles, you know, and I I I, I saw Prince doing these kinds of projects. Like uh, you talked about the Undertaker project, uh, um, you know, earlier. And it's like, why didn't this song come out? Why didn't this song come out? It's like every album we've talked about so far, it has been like, why did he do it this way? Mm-hmm. Why did he hold on to that? And so I, looking back on that period, you know, I, I, I really look at it as a, as, a, as a period of a lot of experimentation, um, almost honing his craft, because now, you know, his live shows are, are experiences. You know, they sell out within an hour of them being announced, you know, within a day of them actually happening. And it, he's he's translating this kind of prowess and power and these ideas that are being worked out on stage back in the studio to kind of see how they sound to later produce, you know, proper albums. Um, so this it's it's it's, you know, for me at that time, you know, hearing about it, reading about it. Uh, you know, at that time, the Internet was still fledgling. So, you know, now we're in, you know, bulletin board material kind of a thing. Mm. But, you know, it, I did not desire the work. I guess that's what it really was. This whole period, I did not desire the work. It became to where I didn't care if I had the albums on release day. You know, uh, if I got them, I got them. OK, really, no big deal. You know, and I was just kind of biding my time trying to wade, you know, through this period until he figures out what it is that he really wants to do. Hmm. Interesting about the shows you bring up, because, you know, just from my reading and stuff, you know, the shows were literally I'm playing the new stuff. I'm not playing none of those songs you hear. I'm playing songs from gold, uh, you know, Exodus stuff. And audiences are like, okay, this is good. But what is I don't know this stuff, you know, and and he just and I found that that was pretty odd uh, and brave for him to do that for songs that really had no release date. I was like, I don't know. Playing this new stuff, you know, you're gonna either love it or too bad for you. Uh, you know, his he even had a, a whole, con, you know, stage show was the endorphin machine, you know, the uterus, and you know, it was just on some other stuff. Um, I was gonna say uh, this album, the Exodus album, was almost gonna come out in America. I remember uh, BET started playing the Good Life video. They also started playing uh, Count the Days. And I believe Warner actually even released the Good Life as a single, right? And they had the, uh, I remember the Big City remix was the sort of the, the rap, another rap sort of thing from Prince. But it had a Ice Cube sample in it. And I always remember he had, he kind of clowned on Michael a little bit in a song or something about Tito got your tissue or something like that. <laughs> uh, Big Ken, uh, I know you have this album. What do you think about it? Yeah, I got the Exodus album. I, I got to it later though. I didn't. I didn't get it when it first came out, because uh, honestly, I didn't see it in any stores near me when I where I used to live at that time. So um, I picked it, got it later. But I, I like it. I mean, it's you know, to me again, it's the same. It's an extension of that same crew doing what they did and come and get and go experience and so forth. Um, you know, not every song is great, but you know, the songs that are pretty good. You know, like Good Life and. Uh, big fun and stuff like that. They're pretty funky in my opinion, and I, and I think this album actually has some of Prince's best bass work. Uh, you know, on on it, he's doing some really good stuff on the bass in this album. So I I like it. 
Yeah, and the last thing I add, this album was heavy. A lot of his albums this time was heavy on uh, the little, uh, what do they call it? Things in between the song? Uh, interludes. Like, yeah. heavy on the interludes. One of them is hilarious, though. One, one is very hilarious. And Prince is sort of <laughs> like he's at some, talking to some mafioso dude or something. And he tells a super yeah, long funny. story. But anyway, um, the other sort of thing that happens at this time is he goes on David Letterman. And he does Dolphin. <clears throat> And I always remember Rush. I remember they announced it was going to be on there. I remember rushing home from work late at night and uh, to get home so I could watch this. And I remember David Letterman holding up a copy of The Goat Experience as well before the album ever came out. He's like, you're probably never going to get this album, but he's here to play a song off it. Here you go. And I was like, what the fuck? And, you know, he does Dolphin and then he like shoots him or Maite shoots him at the end or whatever. Again, I'm like, I like this song, but I'm like, when am I gonna get this music? Like, what is this dude doing? Um, which well, dude, lead... I thought that I thought Go that ahead. performance was cold when Matt Matt yeah. just drags him off the stage. Yes. I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, was even like, was, was even colder was the look on David Letterman's face. Like, what, what the what, hell what, was what? that? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, well, uh, thank you. <laughs> and this is heavy in that whole slave, you know. Again. At the time, I didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. Like, I didn't, I'm just, what? You know, I just was like, man, I, you know, I don't get, we don't get no music. So let's go up to the release, September 26, 1995, The Gold Experience. Finally wait, wait, comes, wait, wait, I'm wait, sorry. Wait. Go ahead, sir. Um, on the uh, on the Exodus project, yeah. I think, you know, like we said earlier, it was a lot of Sunny T being pushed to the forefront, but a lot of this was George Clinton inspired. Yes. This was like an homage to Parliament Funkadelic. And, that's for me was something different you know he was doing you know the little bits and pieces we're hearing on bootleg but he comes out with this funkadelic deal which i thought was good because i think sunny t is a musician so he more or less warranted some some shine as opposed to tony m on gold nigger and, and sunny t is basically singing these songs which was, you know i'm sure he just following the guide track but at the same point he is sort of the star of this record right like Oh, yeah. He was known to be he he was known to be a, a hero, a childhood hero of Prince's, wasn't yes. he? Yes, he was. Yeah, and he was the, the, kind of like that older older cat musician dude that was real cold around the neighborhood. It's like, oh yeah, you got a Sonny T. He's he's the dude. Um, and then so he brings him in the band. I thought it was great. So let's go to the Gold Experience. That album drops. Uh, I hate you. Well, actually, no. Before we do that, Prince also does another sort of TV experience. TV appearance that was sort of like a shocker to me at the time, at least. Uh, the American Music Awards. Um, Warner Brothers releases, uh, what was that song called? And it had like, you know, it was sort of like a tribute sort of song. And it had all of, it encompasses. Purple, Purple Medley. Purple Medley comes out. And this is heavy in the Prince is Dead sort of thing. And Prince gets Warners to release the Purple Medley single. And basically Prince is just re-recording bits and pieces of his classic songs into this one song. Um, so they get up there and do that. Actually, as a performance of that. Uh, Carmen Electra is in the camp at this time, and she's up there dancing. And then, you know, it's announced that Prince is dead, and Mighty comes out. And then here's the new Prince again. He, uh, he is doing, he does like 319, uh, Billy Jack Bitch. And then he does I Hate, well, they, I don't know if I'm doing it in the right order, but he does I Hate You. I remember when watching that, I was blown away. I mean, I thought these songs were amazing. I was like, whoa, what the hell is this? 
and you know, boom, it was over. And then there was nothing. It was like I don't know if it was a year later to that album came out, but I was like, whoa, this guy, this guy's got heat. Where is it at? So anyway, we come to the gold experience. Finally, I hate you was released as a single. Uh, no video released for this, though later we realized there is a video. Jerhan, I'm gonna go back to you again. The Gold Experience album. Is this? Did you get this one? Yep, I, I have this one too. Again, all of this is uh, after the fact, uh, but um, the tracks that I like on it, I like. I think she's incredible. Um, incredible. I, I even like the Tevin Campbell version. In fact, I, I think I've got on videotape somewhere Tevin Campbell performing it at the time when it when it was released, and he he killed it. But you could see that he was performing it. He was giving his best Prince impression in performing it. But um, yeah, whenever Prince has done it, even even to this day when Prince performs it, I think it's a it's a terrific, uh, terrific song. Same with um, same with I Hate You. I think that's a great song. Um, particularly the uh, the single version with the Quiet Storm mix with Eric Leeds on it. But apart from that, like I want to like it. I really want to because a lot of Prince fans that I respect, they they think this is a great album, but I just can't. And even in doing the research for this show, I really tried hard and I got stuck on Billy Jack Bitch and I'm, you know, I was trying to listen to it. I was thinking, hang on, no, come on, this is almost like DMSR. Mm-hmm. It's almost there. It's, and I was, I was really trying to persuade myself that it was DMSR, you know, 94 or 95 or whatever. And it just, it just didn't get there for me. I will add to the, the, the song, Shh, you know, the little clips I played earlier from that performance. Mm-hmm. He does that song sort of at the midway point of that concert. And that's the version. You're mimicking that on the, the Gold album to play it like he played on that concert. Wow. But in that concert version, he, I think they were actually trying to get Tevin to come up on stage. For whatever reason, he doesn't come up there. So Prince does the song and he kills it. And he does this whole guitar thing in the middle. just destroys it now i say this to say that that was so much of a head bust that black there's a few stations on black radio in 84 who started playing that version from that concert like they were given that version to play and so they had been playing they started playing on the radio a year before and then he redoes redoes it for this album so i but so yeah you are right that is a his take on that song was amazing and i'm gonna listen to you but do you like the tevin version the recorded version I was a fan. Of, I remember buying that Tevin album when it came out, and for some reason, I was when I first heard it. I don't know why I thought it was I'll be sure. I, I just like I didn't think Tevin would do something like this, but yeah, I did like it. And I remember when I saw this mini movie and Prince does it, I was just aghast. Like, whoa! Well, he just jacked that song back. Like, it's not a Tevin song mm-hmm. anymore. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing song. Um, author, what did you think of the Gold Experience? Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, I I. I liked it, but it was kind of a, it was, it was a so-so or whatever. It was really the album that was like, I knew was out and, you know, I got it when I got it. I didn't like rush out to go get it. Um, I was, I was already familiar with Endorphin Machine, which was slightly different on that album than on the CD-ROM version. Um, but when I first heard uh, the Tevin song, which, uh, which is so weird to say. Yeah, have you heard that Prince song? Shh. What? No, no, no. Shh. 
but yeah, I was blown away. I sat up. I sat up straight because he was really coming. He was really coming with it. I was I was disappointed with Billy Jack Bitch. I didn't pretty much care for Three Nineteen. Uh, I actually liked Shy. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a good track. I love that. Yeah, track. I liked Shy, and um, uh, that 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 pretty much rounded out. I I didn't particularly like Gold. And you know what? I was trying to find because I I never heard it, but the the B side that he did, um, uh, Rock and Roll is Alive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I never heard that because see, that was the same year that Lenny Kravitz put Circus out, which I think is that's probably his best album, and um, that was like a response track to that. But I had never heard it. You know, Um, I I just think that. it's the gold experience was was uh, a, a solid release for him, probably good for him at the time. But also the the only release that really made sense at, as being the the you know end of the funnel from all of that previous material that he had been recording since 1993. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my version of snob snob snobbery onto this just to <laughs> add. So. There was another thing you brought up. Shy, maybe remember about this. Uh, I can't think of whatever show, TV show, Prince was going to make an appearance on, but there is video of this. Uh, there is a rehearsal that they do for this show, which is amazing because the f- first part of it, I believe, is just the band, and Prince is not there, and they're running through a lot of these songs. Uh, and the interesting thing about this band is that. To me, it was more of a return. Yes, all these guys are musicians, but they was heavily using a lot of sync, uh, sequencing uh, yeah. and programming with them playing live on top of it, uh, which is can be very difficult to do. But they did it excellently, so they were able to really capture the actual sounds from the record, but adding on top of it and still having that jam aspect to it. But then there's a point, and, and I bring this up to say that they do uh, Shy on there, though Prince is not there, but... The band just plays the music, just dope. There's a point when Prince walks into the rehearsal, and I believe it's they're getting ready to do a acknowledge me, and he immediately just picks up the bass, and it just shutting it down. Like, dude, it's ridiculous, and he just goes into this whole funk bass thing on top of it for a while. It's amazing. Uh, I'm starting to lose, losing the train of thought. Oh, so I wanted to say the gold, just to be clear, the Come album and the Gold album. You know, the original intent that Prince had for these records is he wanted Warner Brothers to release Gold. And then maybe like a month later, they would put out Come under the symbol and be like, okay, Come, yeah, Prince died. And now a month later or whatever, here's this music that's even more better. And it's the rebirth sort of rethink. So they would they were to come out right after one after the other. It was supposed to be like a one two punch, but being that this got separated almost a year or two separate, yeah, it sort of seemed like a dump of here's these songs and you know at this point Prince has already recorded Emancipation could care nothing less about the gold experience. But I just wanted to throw that out to just make sure everybody's understanding that Big Ken, the gold experience. Well, you know, you know, I love the album, man. So it's not really much to say. Uh, I, I I was hyped to get it uh, because I was lucky enough to get a pre-release copy similar to the one Arthur got for that other album back in the day. So that just added to uh, my pleasure of it. But I just again, it's the same thing with the you know with Come and 
Exodus and to me, casting disorder as well. It's that same crew. You hear them stretch out a little bit more. You, you hear that same continuity between them. And to me, it's just quality songs. I mean, like you guys mentioned, Billy Jack Bitch, I love that. I like Gold. I like I Hate You, Shy, 319. Dolphin, I think, is a great song. Endorphin Machine. You know, you already uh, mentioned the Tevin Campbell cut. Hell, I even like Now, which is, you know, I was surprised that I, that I would even like that one. So, I mean, I think it's a great album. All right, Big Sexy. We're gonna. I want you to, to comment on, uh, excuse me, Gold, but also bring us into what your thoughts were on Chaos and Disorder. And I put these two together because, again, I think last year there was a, I guess, a, a bootleg that surfaced that pretty much showed that a lot of those tracks were all seamless together. A lot of the Chaos and Disorder tracks were going to be on the Gold album and vice versa. So go ahead and give us your thoughts on those two. Well, at the time, Prince was, um, not production-wise, but as far as presentation-wise, was very fragmented. I remember seeing Prince on Soul Train, and he did a lot of things. Uh, he did, I think he did Now There. I see him doing P-Control on VH1 Class uh, Fashion Awards, and I did enjoy the Gold album. I, I loved the Love for One Another short-form video that VH1 did. And then when we go into Chaos and Disorder, it was known at the time this was just to fill the contract. That's it. There was no real promotion other than the appearance on Today's Show where he did Dinner with Dolores and Xanali and actually got the video for Dinner with Dolores. And I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it just looks really, really low-tech, low you know, really cheaply done. And he clearly wasn't involved with it. He wasn't invested in it. And the album suffered from that because I haven't really listened to it a lot until today to get ready for this. And granted, a lot of that stuff could have done better on Gold Experience, but because he showed a lack of effort, it reflected on me, and I showed a lack of effort in it too. Yeah, you know, I think that's a a lot with this this era was that he just seemed disconnected from the records so we didn't think nothing about it. he he wasn't around for come so it didn't and then the, you know the presentation of it is literally he prince is dead okay uh gold experience there wasn't any videos you didn't see him go on tv or anything for it there's no tour so it didn't seem like it mattered or something i think that has a lot to do with our perception of, of some of this music yeah i mean it was separated but just if you just even looked at it album for album there never seemed like there was anything of him to do with the records there wasn't really any interviews nothing i mean i think the one interview that he did that was sort of major was well before any of these albums came out and he was on the cover of vibe magazine right uh and he mentions these albums in there but they never come out um, and then you know you get beautiful girls so i think that disconnect that i think that disconnect is a big part of uh the, the situation chaos and disorder mr author what this is the album yeah when i first when i first got it uh, I, I wanted to throw it out, but I didn't. I kept it for some reason because I kept it. Was one of those other albums that I tried to like. And um, um, after <laughs> after twenty years, I pulled the album out, and I kind of ride for that album right now. <laughs> I think that's the best album of the '90s for Prince. I mean, the first the first half of the song. You know, just rocks. I mean, he goes from this, this, you know, this, uh, you know, this, this interactive, 
sound with with chaos and disorder you know with rosie that's like that's actually the hardest part for me because i've never really liked rosie games so trying to divorce yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> I've, I've always tried to divorce her 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 voice from you know from his music but but it's but it's very hard to on those earlier albums like especially diamonds and pearls but um he goes right into what the um uh the not the same as summer but i like it there which i really like um I like Dinner with Dolores. I like the 12-inch. I like the graphics that were used for that for that 12-inch. Um, the same December, Right the Wrongs, Anna Lee. Uh, kind of goes off the rails a little bit for I Rock, Therefore I Am. Um, uh, I do like Into the Light. I do like I Will. Uh, I do like the, the You Better Dead. I guess the sleeper song for me on that whole album is probably I Like It There. And the worst song for me in that album is... Uh, Maybe Diggy Better Dead, which I I don't particularly care for, you know, but um, it's really grown on me. Um, I'm I'm glad I gave it a, gave it another chance, and um, uh, I think it's the highlight of that. It, it, it's so ironic because that was the album that was just a big f you to Warner Brothers. He, he was just like I'm out, shut off the lights when you when you decide to leave. The 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 cover was you know the 1999 cover that was broken. Right. He had all of these strange uh you know these strange polaroid type shots inside where you know there was a syringe with money going into it there was something that you really don't know what it is what a heart or something like that that was in a you know that was in a toilet and it was um his 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 public farewell i hate you forget you don't ever don't ever talk to me again you know to warner brothers and a pure disregard for the 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 fans you know i think uh, but then he he actually promotes this album. He goes on uh, he goes on to the uh, Today Show and mm-hmm. does three songs from the album. Um, he he goes on to on Today a few times during that year. I think I think that the performance he went on uh, Brian Gumble's last uh, mm-hmm. show dressed as Brian Gumble. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know and and he he he's he's essentially promoting this material for an album that on the surface, he doesn't seem to really care for. Do so, you find it odd that a record company would release that album like that? With, I mean, at least with the imagery that he presents them to with the artwork. I would. You know, I don't because, you know, and I go back to the whole mom and dad fighting thing, you know, it's like Warner's Brothers is saying, okay, if you want to act an ass, no problem. We'll put the album out and let the people decide how you look. Hmm. Yeah, that's. I just find it so interesting because to me that hurt. Yeah, I remember this album. I, you know, I don't think I was doing the podcast at this time, but I was doing reviews online, and uh, I trashed this album. I thought it was just ridiculous. But you like it now, right? <laughs> I, looking back at it now, yeah, there's there's some designing, <laughs> know, right? but at the time I was just like, this is because again I just took off of the vibe I was getting from him. It seemed like he just could give a fuck. And yeah, this is, I'm just throwing. And even I think it says it's written on there. This album was never intended for public, for the right. public or something like that. So I mean, who does that? And I was just like, man, this is crap. I remember I or funny. I got this album from um, uh, Michelle Dinicello. Her manager happened to be in town. Me and him were cool, and he had it before it came out. He said, man, I got something for you, and I was so hyped. And I remember listening to it, and I was like, this is what? Like I was like, eh. And to me, it just seemed like a Nirvana ripoff on some of the songs, and I was like, eh. But I agree with you. Now, yeah, there's some tracks on here. I will, I think. Uh, I love that. The light. Uh, just, I think they're hot. 
Um, Jerhan, what do you think of chaos and disorder? Disorder. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, my mom always said, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything <laughs> at all. Uh, I just, ugh. I um, there's nothing positive I can say about it. Mm. Nothing. What I can say, actually, you brought up a good point. I, I agree with you. I also felt it was very weird that Warner Brothers were happy to just put out um, the cover art in the way that they did. And But I think at the end of the day, it made him look more like an idiot than them. Exactly. Um, and uh, I think at the end of the day, they're like, okay, well, if nothing else, the controversy will probably help sell something or help gain some sort of notoriety here. So they may have looked at it like there's no such thing as bad publicity. And in fact, at the time, I remember reading a, um, an article with a unnamed executive from Warner Brothers who said, um, anonymously, who said, to be honest with you, we're glad for the break um, of him. It's, he's, he is very, very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, he, he, he'll call us up at, you know, he's got our home numbers or whatever. He'll call us up at 2 a.m. saying, yeah, you know, I need a... I need a rhinoceros and I need it painted lavender in the parking lot tomorrow, you know, and it's like, what the hell, how do we, do, how do we do that? But, and, you know, there were people who were employed to just service these requests, but, um, I'm sure that they, they just thought whatever would help them earn some money would be good enough. But yeah, for me, I, I can't really even comment on it. All right. Big sexy. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with he needed to fulfill the agreement to get his exodus, hey, play on words, from Warner Brothers. They <laughs> wanted new material, and they wanted a couple of uh, appearances promoting it, and that is exactly what he gave them, and then he was out. You know, it would not have been in their best interest to tinker with the album art because, you know, labels, you know, you can't do that. And that would just further strengthen his position and Warner, for their part, was like, you know what, let's just put it out. He's going to look bad, and we'll do our greatest hits package anyway and make money on that. And it was just the end of a messy breakup. All right, Big Ken. I mean, do you really got to come to me, bro? You know what I'm <laughs> going to say, man. I, I love this album. I mean, I, I'm kind of in the same boat with Arthur. It is, a, it, it is a rocking album. I mean, this is the kind of record where you can just go in the car and just turn the volume just way up, you know what I'm saying, and just rock out to it. And I, I love it. There, to me, there's a rawness to it with certain tracks, like the title track. I like it there. You know, that that's, you know I hadn't heard in some years prior to this. And then I also like it because, again, a lot of these, again, we talked about it before, Gold Experience, Calm, Chaos and Disorder, some of the tracks ended up on, on Crystal Ball. They're all from the same. Like with that, the, All these tracks are written in the span of, what, a year, a year and a half at most. And I, I think it's a good album. I, I think what hurt this record and hurt a lot of the records before that, it just, it's just, it's perception. It's just the way it was presented. And it was the lack of, 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 uh, of FaceTime from friends, you know, so it gave people that, that, that notion that, yeah, he didn't care. But I think at the end of the day, what happened is on both sides, like he said, like he just said, it's the end of a messy breakup end of a divorce and by that point in time both sides had gotten fed up with each other and just like all right you just go and i'll just go and that was it but it's unfortunate because these are some good albums man these these last three records they get overshadowed by this whole warner brothers slave thing but i i, I listen to them a lot in fact 
as I've told you before, Mike, I tend to listen to them all together. Like I put them in one huge playlist and you can just throw them on random. And to me, they all fit together. So I love it. All right. The next album, we're going to move along here. And I think it ties into maybe why he was doing some promotions for this record, because that same year, Prince drops Emancipation, which is, you know, the album, according, if you, if you listen to Prince, is the album he was born to make. Uh, this is a very ambitious three CD album. Um, this comes right off the heels of Chaos and Disorder. This is Prince Free. He's emancipated from Warner Brothers. Now he can do the things that he wants to do and doesn't answer to anybody. It's a lot of work to take in. This is a very promoted album. This was the first album where he really went in on the promotional sort of tip and was doing, you know, he did the whole thing with Oprah. Uh, he was on uh, numerous TV shows. He was calling radio stations. I remember he called my local radio station here and was, it is Prince and I want you to get out and get, you know, he did an interview. I mean, so he was really, you know, beating a trail. And I imagine that this is his baby. So he was going to do whatever it took to make this thing successful. Um, I'm not going to give my take on this album yet. I'm going to go to Big Ken again. Big Ken, Emancipation, a lot of buildup for this album. And let me add this, put this before we get into it. The internet uh, was alive and well at this point. Uh, AOL was very big at the time, and it was a very big Prince community online. Uh, I will say, arguably, Prince himself was a part of the online community at this time, as was Maite. They used to do um, Paisley Park chats every Sunday night. Was it, he mentions that on the song, right? My computer. That was a heavy thing back then in the community, and he was actually—they were actively on there asking people like, "What song should I cover for Emancipation?" and, and different things. There's a lot of stuff going on online. Uh, Big Ken, Emancipation. Yeah, you know what? I, I like this album. Um, I, I was into a lot of the hype that we were all into at that time, expecting this. You know, I, I heard the statement. You know, this is the album he was born to make, and so I'm like, "Oh, word! That's what it's like." You know, and and so I'm like, "Okay." I'm expecting that, you know, he's going to drop, you know, some of the old style stuff. You know, I'm, I was hoping and praying like, man, I want some of that old sound of times type flavor to come back. And then I, then again, and it was released on my birthday, too. So I'm like, so it's got to be good. <laughs> and so I got the album. And for the most part, it was good. But I think the problem is you have three discs of material. He could have really consolidated this down to one super strong disc, right? Hey, there, there's filler. There, there's there's filler on each disc, right? But there's some some stone jams on each disc too. So he could have really condensed this down to one album, and it would have been would have been great. I was slightly a bit disappointed that I didn't get the old sound that I wanted, but I I had pretty much already given that notion up, you know, a couple years prior. So that was just a little hope that I had on the side. I think my only real problem that it took me a while to get over is that it took me a while to get used to the to this new style of production, particularly the drum sounds. You know, mm -hmm. he sounds like he was using these these processed, you know, drum sample type things, and it just it didn't sound right to me, especially coming off Chaos and Disorder and Gold Experience, where you had John Blackwell and Michael uh, Michael Bland, and you had those guys playing real hardcore drums. You know, so it was. It took a minute to get used to that, but overall, I think this is a decent album. It could have been an excellent album had he just condensed it. All right, uh, Jerhan, was it too much? 
the three discs definitely were too much, but I'll surprise you. I actually liked the album. What? Um, yeah, no, I did. <laughs> believe it or not, seriously, I was surprised. I'm still surprised. I liked it. <laughs> uh, I remember when um, when it came out, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't want to hear another Prince album ever again. And uh, my my cousin Rusty, he um, he he got it, and he was like, uh, you're gonna want to hear this one. And I was like, no, nah, 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 whatever, whatever. And I didn't listen to it. And he, um, we, we had like a party at his place on New Year's Eve that year. And he was like, leave the party, come to this room and just listen. And I listened and I, I stayed the whole New Year's Eve, basically listening to that uh, with him. And it was just, I mean, from jam of the year, right, right through right to the end. I liked the whole thing. I don't think there's many tracks on there that I dislike. I think you didn't it's make the happy? Well, you know, Mr. Happy is, <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. That and uh, Holy River, I don't like. But um, but then you have stuff like Let's Have a Baby. I think Let's Have a Baby is, I mean, you know, when you say one of the greatest Prince tracks ever recorded, that's, you're talking about a lot of tracks because there's a lot of fantastic tracks that he's recorded. But I think it's in there, however long that list is, whether it's 20 or 30 or 40 tracks, I think it, it deserves to be in that upper echelon. I think... Just the the piano is such a beautifully recorded piano, and then the bass line, and not even the bass line, the solo bass that's playing. It's that conversation between the vocals, the piano, and the bass. It's gorgeous. I think even the covers. This is the first time they actually did covers of other people's material, and that that blew me away. In I was like, what? Really? Are you serious? Um, and and the stuff, the the material that he decided to cover, like um, the just very old kind of doo-wop songs, old soul songs. It was a very interesting choice to me that he chose all the covers, all three of them. I think um, I Can't Make You Love Me, Betcha By Golly Wow, and La 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 Means I Love You. They're all from that genre. And I always found that very, very interesting. Um, now I, I like almost everything about the album. And I think, again, he was still using a very polished kind of sound. And very computerized drum sounds, but I think this is the first time that he actually made it work in the 90s. But um, yeah, no, I, I have nothing negative to say about it. The only the only negative point really is what's already been said. It could be a banger of a single disc album if it was put together. But one interesting thing actually as well is that despite it being three discs, I actually have no problem with the sequencing. Um, you know, it's too long, but it didn't seem to jump around and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily untidy. It's just, there was too much of the same sort of thing continuously, but, but I liked it. Okay. Uh, Arthur, what'd you take on, uh, emancipation? Um, I'm pretty much lockstep in with Jahan. I, it, it, it was too long. I think, I think if sequence properly pared down, it could be, uh, it could be his, his lone masterpiece of the nineties. Um, I think the second disc was probably the best of the three. Um, I, I was also surprised at the at the cover choices. I think that uh, I think that he just took Joan, Joan Osborne's song when he did One of Us, yeah. just took it from her outright. And um, I really like my computer. Uh, I really like email. Um, I like Jam of the Year, even with Rosie. Um, <laughs> I liked, uh, I, you know, there was so much to like about that album. Um, even some of the more campy material, like 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 Sex in the Summer, 
uh, you know, I'm like, come on, dog, you're like 36, 37, you're a little too old to be talking about, you know, panties and 19 year olds and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, with the heartbeat of your yeah. unborn child as, as the, as the baseline, you know what I'm saying? It was just a little, mm-hmm. nah, I don't know. But, um, you know, it, it, did you it, like joint the joint? Did you like joint the joint? I did not. Yeah, I did not. I just think that, um, um, you know, I was actually really disappointed because he played uh, he played the United Center here in Chicago after the Bulls won, I think, their sixth ring. And he played most of that album live. And so that was the crew where, what, I think Rhonda was on bass. I think... Um, I think he had uh, what's my man's name on drums? Kirk uh, J. Kirk yeah, Kirk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kirk, Kirk, Kirk. Uh, he came back the next year later, and I did I did get to see him, and he played he played a lot of covers, but he played some 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 stuff off of uh, off of Emancipation. This is when he was riding around with uh, Shaka Khan, Larry, and uh, Doug Fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, they translated well live, you know. Uh, it, but yeah, it's just, it was just, it was just too long. Uh, but it's, it's got its place, you know, right in my collection. I would say the one disappointment I had off this record was the actual title track. I, I just thought it was going to be so much more than, it just seemed like it was a short little, almost a throwaway song. I like the song, but I just thought it was going to mean, I don't know, I, just, I figured it was going to be this grandiose sort of shut down the house jam at the end, uh. Sort of thing, but uh, big sexy. What would you think about this? You know, like like everyone else, you know, this is too. It's too long, you know. And sometimes artists and creative people need that person outside of the creative community to just you know rein them in just a little bit, not tinker with what you do, but just like you know, dial this back a little bit. You know, this could have been. I think it could have been pared down to two. CDs or one, you know, monumental CD. But I think it could have been pared down. I remember seeing the video for Betcha by Golly Wow and seeing Prince the Gas Station was a little BMW getting the text that, you know, Maite was was pregnant and watching it breaks my heart to this day, you know, because that was just, he was so excited about being a parent. And then you look at, look at that imagery in the interview on the Today Show and it just kind of it just wipes all that away. But when they did the show on BET, where they did Get Your Groove On, and they put in six in the middle of it, I'm like, okay, this will work. Uh, I don't know what happened with Cat Dyson. I don't know if she couldn't keep up musically, but you know she was there for that concert, and you look up and she's gone. And it was just too again, there was just too much music. There were a lot of good things. I didn't care for the the Bonnie Ray cover. I thought it could have been left alone. He did hijack Joan Osborne's song, though, and I still wish she would do Get Your Groove On in concert to this day because it's a great song. But I was expecting a lot more with this because this was supposed to be the one. This was supposed to be the magnum opus, you know, unrestricted, unfettered by anybody. This is what I'm going to do. And I just was left thinking, okay, when does it really ratchet up a notch? And it really just never got to that level that I was expecting it, but maybe I had too high expectations. Yeah, and I think, too, didn't his label shortly go out of, went bankrupt or something a little bit after the release of this record? Yep. Uh, and I think this is another thing. He was forced to, normally he 
you know, probably the last four or five albums. He had nothing to do with them. But I think this one, he was all in, like really going hard. And I, and I can't remember when he was on there with Brian Gumbel and he was sort of asking him like, okay, so this album is not like selling, you know, number one of the charts right now. Like, are you going to stick with this sort of thing? And Prince even sort of said, well, yeah, you know, we're just kind of keep working it and doing things. But he kind of abandoned it. Like, again, he just sort of abandoned the record after a while. Um uh, you know, they went on tour again. I, I have a problem when they, he doesn't name the tours after the record. Like, it just seems like he's not really engaged with the project as much. Um, you know, you know, I'm going to blame Larry for this because oh, right after, yeah, you know what's coming. <laughs> because after New Power Soul was coming out, it was all about well, New Power Soul and Shaka Khan coming to my house and GCS 2000. Damn that. You have Emancipation, you've got three CDs worth right. of material, right. which you need to get out there and promote, because this is what we want to hear. This is supposed to be your, you know, crowning achievement, and you don't even support it, man. You well, know. and I think we're seeing what Warner Brothers sees, or used to see, right? <laughs> like, this guy is goes, goes too fast. Like, he, he got other stuff. So, Emancipation, the big hype thing that really got me pumped out of Emancipation, I believe it was a little flyer that came out of the album, talked about crystal ball coming and i was like what (laughs) you mean crystal ball that i i've heard this bootlegger song you talking about that it was all over for me so i'm gonna we're gonna go right into crystal ball i was this probably one of the most anticipated records for me i not knowing where it's gonna be i'm just thinking oh it's nigga it's 1980 Six eighty-five. It's all this is gonna be. Like, this is a rap for me. I'm getting this record. I don't care what I gotta do to get it. Uh, there was some drama about how it was released. You know, it was pre-order and all that. I got it from the record store. I heard. I called them. They had it. I rode my bike down to the record store and picked it up. Crystal Ball. Uh, let me just say, it's a one of the greatest things for me personally that he did, just because it has pristine quality of certain songs that I wanted um, to me alone it is worth it just because I can get chlorine bacon skin and had that on there and that goes back to like my era excuse me uh, time you know first second album that musicianship banging I don't care what it is I'll buy whatever so for me that was worth it crystal ball the song was worth it any of them tracks from the 80s on there I'd have paid whatever to get it. Uh, Man, you know you bought it for Poom Poom. Stop lying. (laughs) (laughs) Here you go. But I mean, uh, you know, the song I had never heard before, Make Your Mama Happy, you know, straight, some some sly, you know, some of the Sign of Times era. Bang. I still play them songs, man. Like to me, I I love that project. Yeah, it was heavy on the 90s stuff, but the gems that were on there just goes to show like, man, if he really gets serious to somebody, they can have somebody else pick and say this is what you need to do. He's got the funk there. Um, Jerhan, did did you get Crystal Ball? What did you think of that? Yeah, I did. I mean, every single penny. It, it, it was worth every single penny for the first track alone. So how there you go. Yeah. There beautiful go. quality version of Crystal Ball. I mean, wow. That's yeah. You know, I mean, you you've got the '80s parts. You've got the '90s parts. Clearly. From the whole conversation, I'm you know married to the the '80s parts, um, but yeah, it was worth it just for those. And it's uh, I was a bit 
the, the title of it I found a bit misleading mm. because, you know, from the fan mythology, Crystal Ball, I had, um, you know, I'd viewed it as something kind of sign of the time style of, of that era. And I thought, oh, wow, is he going to re-release something? Is he going to do a, a new configuration of some kind of sign of the times, love sexy type thing? And is it going to be, yeah, is it going to be redone? And um, then he came out with this and I was a little disappointed with the plethora of 90s tracks on it, but I can't complain. Crystal Ball, uh, track one on its on its own is, is worth it. But um, yeah, very, very happy with that. Yeah, a movie star. <laughs> yeah, a movie star. Good love. I mean, we already had good love from Bright Lights, Big City, but but still, uh, an honest man, sexual suicide, chlorine bacon skin, like you said, last heart. Yeah, mm, mm. crazy, crazy. Uh, Arthur. Yeah, same here. But you know, it it was slightly bitter, slightly bittersweet too, because it was like, okay, so you put all this on here, and I can't get the stuff I want. It's like you know. I mean, why didn't D'Angelo suggest We Can Funk? <laughs> why do you have to suggest, I ain't mad at Movie Star, but I mean, you know, what about this? What about that? You know, right. what about the original version of Open Book? What about the original version of, of Get Blue? You know, mm. um, I think, now, here's the thing. We're talking about Crystal Ball, but the truth was on that package as a bonus CD. Banging. And I very recently want to give a shout out to my man, Greg Maida from Oakland. He has, he bought Crystal Ball day one, or I think, I think they mailed it to him. You know what I'm saying? But I'm saying he's had that since 1998. He had never heard the truth or the Karma Sutra, which I'm not, I'm not mad at, but I'm like, dude, you have to listen to the truth. That is the MTV unplugged album that never happened. Um, that 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 album there is is probably in my, in my opinion that is his magnum opus of the 90s leading off for he and piano he and very sparse arrangements um closing with the song that i believe he dedicated uh to his deceased son you know um um uh, no, no no did it did it close with welcome to the dawn or did it close with yeah. um one that was um, the last track that was yeah, the last okay, track okay um, the one where, um, um, oh, let me look it up. And I'm sorry, Mike, I, 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 I had it right in front of me. Um, <laughs> there we go. Come back. Yeah. 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 Come back. Come back. Literally brought a tear to my eye and, and, and Prince hadn't brought a tear to my eye since, uh, graffiti bridge in the theater. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that, that I can't really talk about enough about, about that. But I think that uh, this is a period also, I know we're talking about the music, but this is a period also where EMI went out of business. He's got no distributor now, so he's got to get innovative. You know, he's manufacturing his CDs now. He's becoming the distributor. He's opening up new channels with, with, with e-commerce on the Internet. He's, he's beginning to sell songs, you know, uh, not necessarily individually, but he's beginning to sell songs directly to his, to his fan base. And he's also finding that he's making more money on these direct sales. That's why he's not necessarily upset that, you know, these aren't number one platinum certified albums anymore. I yeah. think Duplin was in the conversation. Yeah, definitely. And was it, uh, was it this album? Uh, I think it was this album where he did the pre-sale and, and he had it in the stores and, and, right. and he pre-sold mm-hmm. it to these stores. And it was, he was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've made all this money. Like, I don't have to sell nothing. Like, it's, right. it's already a done deal. 
It was um, like he had he had like two versions. One was the circular. It was like if you ordered it right. through him, right. you got you got the uh, Karma Sutra. If you if you that was one thing, and then if mm-hmm. you got it early in the stores like I did, you got the truth, and then there was just an empty slot. Uh, but it was still the clear circular package. And then if you got it later, or I think through some channels like Best Buy that has certain ways that they had to stock stuff, or mm-hmm. you got the double CD thing. That's what I got. You didn't get the truth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But mine's had the truth in it, though. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. so you did. it was like a four-CD deal then yeah. in that packaging. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, uh, I didn't get the Karma Sutra, though the Karma Sutra had been online previously to this. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Big Ken. I agree with everything you guys said. It was worth it just for a movie star and those other old school cuts, you know, chlorine bacon skin. I like, I also like some of the nineties. I liked a lot of the, like the nineties material, you know, love sign, acknowledge me, uh, the bang. Uh, that was great. And then just like Arthur said, the truth was an extra bonus, man, because that album blew me away. Certain cuts like third eye, uh, the other side of the pillow fascination. And one of my favorites, Mm. Is one of your tears, man. It's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that album. So yeah, this is this is one of the high points, in my opinion, in his uh, '90s catalog. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that this was an olive branch to to us for all that for all that drama he took us through? Kind of, sort of. But if it, he really wanted to do a true olive branch, wasn't this the album where he solicited, you know, uh, feedback from all the fans? Like, what do you guys want? What do you guys want? Well, he should have put more. If it's going to be a true olive branch, and he should have put more of what the fans asked for, put some of that Roadhouse Garden on there, you know, Our Destiny and those kind of things. That that was the that was uh, Crystal Ball two that he was going to do. Where he okay, I know it was one of them, but yeah, yeah. but well, the other the other point is if it was going to be a true olive branch, don't make people wait one year before sending to them what they paid for. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? It's like horrific. That's completely unacceptable. Yeah, Emancipation came out with ninety six. Crystal Ball didn't come out to ninety eight. So that was right because he he said that he wasn't going to release it until he a certain was it like twenty five or fifty or hundred thousand something yeah. a huge amount of pre orders. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that's so what I people, was. Go ahead. You have people like day one putting their money down, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Yeah, y'all can just wait now. I'll I'll keep your money. I'll I'll earn interest." On the money that you've given me, you know, I won't, I won't ship until I'm ready to. I know people who still haven't got their copy. Wow, yeah, that's when I heard about that. I was like, nah, mm-mm, that ain't, that don't vibe. I, I'm purse first, but, you know. I wasn't, ra- I wasn't raised like that. Like, nah, he ain't, let me know when it's ready to ship, then I'll pay for it. But nah, I'm cool, sir. Mm-mm, not gonna buy it. Um, so yeah, Crystal Ball, uh, big sexy. Did you ever? Uh, you know, same thing with everybody else. You know, I was surprised that the the years were so varied in there. You know, things as old as 83 and as new as 95. But mm-hmm. when I heard the tell me how you want to be done, at first I'm like, oh, man, that's Continental. Then I played it again. I'm like, well, this is better than Continental, actually. I like this. And I got mine through the fan club. I got the little round plastic case. And I remember being solicited for a CD of... Nothing but samples. I don't think that ever oh, came out. Yes, but I thought oh. about grabbing that too. That's right. He did. It was it was going to be like seven hundred dollars or something yes. crazy? Mm. But it was going to be. I heard. I heard it. It wasn't worth it. You heard it. You heard it. Yeah, yeah. Because that, some of a lot of it leaked out online. What? 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to you. I mean, it's just, it, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not. <laughs> and, and honestly, it wasn't, wasn't really even well done because whoever did it, I don't think they understood how to really do a sample CD correctly. So a lot of the little drum hits and stuff that, you know, stuff that you could get yourself by just chopping up the record, you know, they didn't have the, they didn't have the end points right for you. So it's a lot of stuff. Let it, yeah, hmm. it wasn't clean. And it was, you know, a lot of guitar licks with other parts of the song and it wasn't that good. But the thing is, though, if you were, if they were going to go on sale, the thing is, we could use those royalty-free in perpetuity. That was the big selling part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, there was a lot of interesting products he was trying to offer. Uh, so let's we, a couple more here. We're almost done. So the next record that comes out, and I'm going to say this right now. I know it's not going to be agreed upon. This is one of my favorite albums from the 90s. One of my favorite albums from Prince, uh, oh. <laughs> New Power Soul, uh, <laughs> June 30th, 1998. I uh, did a whole show about this. I thought for me, this album was a return to like, you know what? I can drop the needle down, let it ride. There's two songs on here that are whack. Push it up. And oh. I like funky music, but everything else, that's my man. I, I don't care what nobody say. I, I ride with all them tracks. I think they're dope. It, it's just a straight R&B, Prince sort of record. Shoo-be-doop. That's my cut. <laughs> uh, mad sex. <laughs> when you love somebody. I, I, uh, what's the Wasted Kisses. I, to me, hey, come come on, whatever. Dope. Freaks on this side. Freaks on, Freaks this, on side. this side. Dope. I was just oh. like, blown, uh, yeah, yeah. I was blown away by this record. I, I used to, I still... I pumped this hard in the car. Me and Tobias used to ride this wreck. Who's ah? So, so I'll say what you want to say. Uh, who was that, Jerhan? Go ahead, sir. <laughs> I, I like it. I like the album. Oh, man. Oh. I like the album. <laughs> <laughs> I like oh the God. album a lot. A lot. I even. I mean, I like Mad Sex. I even like that. And I remember going on to the um, to the MPGMC. Well, no, what was it? MPGOnlineLimited.com. Mm. And that was like one of the first websites I ever visited. And I remember Mad Sex being just like the opening loop uh, or the opening, uh, the opening couple of bars being looped on that, uh, on that website. And I remember thinking, whoa, you know, this is, this is dope. And then I got the album and yeah, I mean, come on, amazing, the one. I actually like the slightly shorter edit version of the one that I think is on the album rather than the uh rather than the single maybe it was the other way around but whichever the shorter one was but yeah everything about it was dope the only beef i had because you know i was going to have some kind of beef <laughs> the only beef i had with the album was the title hmm. when when i heard the you know when i heard new power soul i thought wow this is it love sexy's yeah, come back right right <laughs> you know and i and i was really just so hyped I mean, like, really, really couldn't be hyper. And um, because I know you guys have said previously when Emancipation was about to drop, you were hoping it was going to be a return to form. You know, we we're always hoping that it's a return to the 80s style, but this was like, he gave us the title, and I thought, oh, my God, here he is. You know, we're, we're right here. And so it was it was still a 90s kind of sound, but I'm not mad. I, I like the album, definitely, definitely. Jahan, I got to say, man, you are a complete enigma, man. Just when I think <laughs> that there's an album that you're going to destroy, you like it. It's, you're no, you're, you're an odd guy, but I like it, man. It's all right. 
<laughs> you know what? You know what I really like about it? It's cohesive as well. You know, it's like he he had a vision for it, and um, definitely, uh, yeah, not mad at all. Go wow. ahead, Big Ken. Oh, I'm, I agree. I, I love it, man. Uh, you know, I, I guess my only real beef with this is that, and I think what a lot of people may get tripped up by is it the low budget production of it in terms of well, not production. I'm sorry, presentation. Of it, you know, the album cover art and everything looks kind of cheesy. He's standing there with that crazy mic gun again. At least he left the policeman hat off, you know. But it just seemed a little bit low budget. But the music on it, I, I just think it's, I think it's funky. It's, it is a good, good CD to bump in your car up at full volume, you know. So I agree with you guys. I like it. All right, Mr. Arthur. Yeah, I, yeah, I like it too. I like it too. It, this was a, uh, yeah, you, you know, it was a uh, a lot of the show that I saw in '98. So he played this material uh, before I'd actually heard the album, and it was kind of one of those things where, man, how come it didn't sound like that? You know. Mm. Um, but I, at the same time, though, I thought there were parts of it that were still kind of goofy. Um, the art direction, I'm big on art direction and stuff, and I mean, I, I didn't pretty, I, I really didn't appreciate the packaging. I think that uh, putting this out as a three pack, I understood what he was doing. But, you know, when he did this later on with Bria Valentine, I don't want your album. I don't want your album, Larry Graham. I don't want that album, Shaka Khan. I just don't want it. You know what I mean? And, and, and with Prince kind of trying to bring the legends with him, it's like I understood what he was doing, but it was getting in the way of the focus being on, being on him and, you know, and the, and the music. But um, the one inc- incredible song, um, uh, like Shuba Do, um, didn't really care for Mad Sex, but you know it's it's sort of like uh, it's like that whole keeping it real going wrong thing. It's like you are pushing, you're pushing forty. Stop it! You know it's like one word AIDS. You know what I'm saying? I mean let's let's try to keep. <laughs> things into perspective and it, it, you know everything doesn't have to be a freak show it's like he always reverts back to this whole freak show thing when uh, blood. I, yeah i guess <laughs> i guess yeah i just thought the album was amazing uh big sexy what'd you think man i know you was rocking push it up uh yeah let me go ahead and put on my black hat now <laughs> i completely disagree other than the one Wasted Kisses, which was buried at the end as a hidden track, and come on, this album is just whack. Wow. I don't care for it at all. I did enjoy the performance he gave on, I think, the, the late night Sinbad show where he did the one and less work and just blew it up. And I enjoyed the, or the interview with Tavis Smiley on BET. Yes. But as a whole, this album... I'm like, what, what, you know, no. And what was that one song where he, um, oh, geez, where in the video he's playing an old guy in like an English car. Come on. And he just, that's, yeah, come that's on. Come on video. I mean, I like that, but the whole project to me just seemed not uninspired, but just underfinanced and underpromoted. And he was, again, it was just like Arthur said, you know, I don't want Larry. If I want Larry, I'll buy Larry. Right. Um, so I want Shaka, I'll buy Shaka. It's great that he has such reverence for them and, and their status. That's great. But do your thing. Like, stay in your lane. Don't try to elevate people who have had their run 
you know, back up to where you are. And I'm not saying it was a bad thing from an emotional standpoint, but from an execution standpoint, no, no. And the freaks on this side and push it up. That's bullshit. No, that's terrible. Oh, my man. Well, I, I will say, I think that I don't, I don't mind Larry personally. I think to me, Larry Graham was funky. Like I, I don't, I think maybe some of the things he may stand for, People take issue and sort of equate the whole Jehovah's Witness thing to that. But musically, I don't think it was a problem. I think Prince heavily is influenced by that stuff. Uh, I'm sure if he was best friends with Sly, his ass would have been all over his stuff. But I, I don't I think that it was cool. I thought it was just cool that he could do that. Like he was like, you know what? I'm going to pull, like you said, I'm going to pull the legends up. Um, yeah, I know you're going to buy my stuff, but you know what? You're going to have to buy theirs too because that's just me giving respect to what made me be what I am. And, and so with that said, I think there was one song, personally, I think there's one song that they did that was the shit together. Uh, I'm gonna play a little bit of it. You can comment on it afterwards, but here's a little bit of Prince and Larry. Y'all like that? No. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a problem with Larry Graham. Thank you. Wait, wait, wait. I don't have a problem, have a problem with Larry. I don't have a problem with Larry at all. But the thing is, that piece we just heard, that horn section was taken straight from the song Stand, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And the Larry performance with Prince at the uh, New Year's Eve show in 99, mm -hmm. that's on the, on the DVD, when they did Kiss, now that was happening. And Larry's solo stuff, great. Great, but that one, no, no. And Larry was great up until when he was doing the GCS stuff. I'm with it, but when he started doing the one in a million and just be my lady, snore. But that's his, I mean, that's one of his signature joints. <laughs> one in a million. <sighs> I mean, I feel you on that. That's but my I mean, granddaddy in them funk. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I'm saying Larry. I mean, I'm I'm glad to know that. I mean, Larry Graham's the truth because I mean, like him, Black Woman and Prince did did Bambi one night and there, it was just like good god you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. i mean i ain't never heard bass like that where prince is just like i ain't even gonna touch the bass because this man is standing right here i don't even need to yeah i mean larry gets blamed with a lot I, I i thought it was cool now shaka's stuff i was a little disappointed i just expected it to be 
a lot better. I like that album. Really? Yeah. I thought, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I didn't think it was a great album, but I think it had higher points on it than uh, than GCS 2000. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, they had some horrible moments, like Pop My Clutch. But, oh. um, I mean, that was horrific. But Come To My House, the song itself, I think... Um, Journey to the Center of Your Heart. Um, I don't know. Don't Talk to Strangers. And that's uh, a good even, song. even Hair, I think. Even her version of Hair is good. You know, this is also the time where Prince is becoming more accessible. Where you see him on stage, you see him in interviews, you see that he's actually enjoying himself. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's starting to show in the music and it's also starting to show in the performances. He's doing these private affairs or these invitation only affairs or, you know, show mm-hmm. up. You know, these late night Paisley Park concert sessions where anybody can just roll on in and, you know, you, you to a degree, you know, interact with him. But, um, but, you know, but at the same time, he's also kind of reconnecting to the V103 crowd. You, you know what I mean? The the you know, the 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 black adult contemporary crowd that were the casual uh, you know, uh, button, Prince button wearing teenagers that we went to school with, but really weren't into Prince like you and I were, are now sort of re-engaging themselves with this new Prince. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I think somebody brought up that Tavis Smiley interview that came out around the same time. I thought that was another sort of let me pull back the veil a little bit, and yes, I am a person. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it just felt like he was a lot more unguarded. You know, they, they were going to take calls from people to call in. I thought that was a very telling interview, personally. Like, I became like, I was like, yeah, that's my dude. Like, man, he's not, he don't sound crazy on here. He wasn't talking in riddles. You know what I mean? He was like giving straight answers, whether you agreed with them or not. But I don't really like that interview. He's, he's also on the cover of Yahoo Internet Life uh, around this time in 1997. Um, um, and, you know, shout out to The Vault. That album that came out that that uh, had the long version of she uh, she spoke to me, mm-hmm. and that's the next one. That <clears throat> the last album of the '90s was the Vault, Old Friends for Sale. Now, no, there's one. There's one other album though. You yeah. Yeah. after that, you got Rave. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Scroll down. Sorry. Yeah, let's get to Rave. All right, just quickly, real quick, the Vault. <laughs> when you see that title, Old Friends for Sale, I know when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is gonna be the truth. Uh, cause mm-hmm. they just pulling something from the golden era again, disappointed by this mm-hmm. record, but it, it does is. have that song on there. Yeah. But they used the wrong version. It, yeah, they did. Uh, but I was happy to get it and I like that song and also like the very last track, uh, is it extraordinary? Yeah, and doesn't that, that song sort of harken back to um, Soul Class? I'm thinking like me and Mrs. Jones or something like that. Yeah, very, a very much so. Yeah, very much so. Five Women was pretty cool too. I didn't really like that. It's got a bluesy kind of bluesy thing, kind of like a Bobby yeah. Blue Bland type of flavor. Yeah, I, I, I did like. Uh, well, what's uh, uh, I'm sort of forgetting whatever the Sarah or something. It, it, those songs are just sort of weird to me, and I think a lot of those tracks are coming from that uh, uh, movie thing that Prince yeah. was going to do at the time. Yeah, uh, um, five, five, three or four of them come from that movie soundtrack that got nixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll do anything. The Nick Nolte mm-hmm. movie. Uh, so, if any last 
points on the vote, and we'll move over to just, just a question. Actually, sure. does does anybody have any information on how it was put together? Like, I I know that Warner Brothers chose the material without his involvement and and presumably against his will. You mean the vote? But, correct. You know, Prince actually walked in there with uh, it was it four or five albums done. He gave them. I want to say he probably gave them come gold the vault and i'm missing one uh chaos and disorder they were all complete done artwork and everything really even even the vault because i had always read that i was always i had always read that it was against his uh against his will and waters just did it on their own no i'm pretty sure that he gave those those ones complete so you put them out okay when you need to i'm done and i got him out of the deal yeah all right, Rave Unto the Joy, fantastic. This is the meeting of the mind. This is Prince. He meets uh, doing a, a project with Clive Davis. Of course, very popular, been in the business for years, very legendary. Now, you know, he had the, I think he was coming off of the success of the Santana album. Uh, if it was the year before, whatever, I think it was one album of the year. It's very, very popular. It was kind of like a duet sort of thing. You're going to try and recreate this with Prince. So we got Prince now. Uh, Rave. Author. Okay. Garbage album. <laughs> <laughs> Not Garbage album. Start. Right. So here's the thing. Raven to the Joy Fantastic. Now, I, I remember that song from the, uh, from the Hague bootleg mm-hmm. that, that, that came out on vinyl called DMSR where he opens the song with this instrumental and it turns out to be Raven to the Joy Fantastic, right? So I get this album. He's on the front with some pigtails and this and this, this spandex rubber unitard. <laughs> and, um, you know, the packaging is, is, you know, is so-so, Clive Davis, whatever, whatever. Okay, fine. And I put it in the CD player. Rave is the first song, title track. And I'm like, please don't suck. Please don't suck. Please don't suck. And it sucks. Right. Very then he follows that up with probably the the first of two great wasted opportunities with classic rappers with mm-hmm. Chuck D. And then, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're and we're just on song two. Can I send it, right? can I add one thing though? The, the major disappointment for me though is that the rave unto the Joint Fantastic is the rave version from back in the day, and, and it sucks. But go ahead. That so, is the studio version from the day, and that, which which it, which is just so baffling. But okay, okay. So then we get to Greatest Romance, which isn't a bad song. It's just a, it's a, it's just it's not a bad song. It's just on a bad album, right? Um, I, I'm trying to find the highlight for it because I mean, there's there's one song that I actually kind of like. I think it's Tangerine. I do. Okay, you know what? I like So Far So Pleased, and I like Every Day Is a Winding Road. Primarily because of Cheryl Crow's song, and, and Cheryl Crow is actually kind of good. But man, ah, it's a garbage album, man. I, I, you know, I got the DVD. I ain't watched it in a while. Mm. Ah, you know, I just don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, uh, Big Ken, go ahead. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a garbage album, but I, I'd agree that it is uneven at best. Um, you know, all these appearances with, you know, Chuck D and 
I don't know if you guys heard the the other version, the rave into the Joy Fantastic, where you had like I think Eve was on there and some other people on there. Yeah, that's okay. You know, I mean, I, I could do without the rapper. You know, uh, collabos and whatnot. I mean, I like a couple of cuts on here. Rave is okay. Like you said, Tangerine, um, Every Day's Wide in the Road. I, I love Silly Game. I think that's a really nice ballad. Um, Strange but True is okay. The Pretty Man song is funny to me, you know, but it's, you know, overall, it's just another one of those albums, kind of like the Symbol album, where I have to be in the mood to want to hear, you know, and, and you know, just to be, just to want to hear some of that stuff. I, I don't listen to it uh, that often, and when I do, I don't listen to it straight through. It's just, you know, select tracks. Yeah, I wish, I wish New Power Soul could have got the pump that Rave got. I, I, to me, I would have, I think it would have done better. Mm. Rave is just a disappointment to me. I, sonically, just the way it sounds, I wasn't feeling it. Hot With You was was a hot mess. That <laughs> song was terrible. Uh, the one with Chuck D again, just a disappointment. I'm like, Prince Chuck D? Okay. This is gonna, and at the time, Chuck was still like, I still, a high regard, like, yeah, this is gonna be dope. It, it was terrible. Uh, I liked it. I did like Greatest Romance. I actually sort of dug that track. Um, again, I just don't think. And then, you know, classic Prince fashion, it is not really selling right out the gate. So he just abandons it, you know, and then he starts getting into sort of kind of a sly war of, war of the world words with Clive Davis and Aristotle, whatever. And he ain't got nothing to do with it no more. And then it just, you know, peters away. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Just. And it was a big album, right? I mean, there was a lot of stuff to do about it. It was supposed to be this big deal, but I don't think, I don't think that uh, the song, the first single, was a good song to release at the time. And I think image-wise, Prince, he just didn't fit what was going on. It was just that whole look with the blue thing, and you know, he was trying to channel uh, Coolio or something. Aquaman. I, it wasn't. It just wasn't the look, man. I, you know, I was just like, what is? What are you doing? I don't think he fit in with the times at that point. And I like sort of like the songs he did with um, was it Baby Knows, but I don't know. It just yeah. But then he does this does this great project with Angie Stone. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, well, and and that's the other thing I want. I forgot. Somebody brought up this was the song Undisputed. I did like the remix to it. And, you know, if I understand my reading correctly, you know, that was a him dissing Questlove and D'Angelo. Mm. You know, talking about chicken grease and, and all that kind of spawned from that whole little thing. So I think, too, he came at the time and was, I want to say Voodoo may have just came out or was getting ready to come out. And it was sort of that real comparison thing going on between those two. And I just think he wasn't really his time to come out. And then I'm not going to get into it, but the answer to that right was to do Rainbow Children. But the masterpiece. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Jerhan, what do you think, Barbara? I hate the album. Um, I think it's probably got the worst cover art of any Prince album. He he looks like an elf on the cover. It's just <laughs> I, I don't know what he's. I don't know what he's done to his hair. It's just, uh, it's, it really looks photoshopped. And like first generation, like Photoshop 1.0, you know, it's, it's really, really bad. I do think 
that the highlight of the album is the is the last 30 or 40 seconds of the sun, the moon and the stars. Yeah, where, I did like that. You know, it's like the, through the sun, the moon and the stars, he's using the um, the LM1, the, the original Lindrum throughout the whole track. And then it's quite a happy track, but then the outro, it turns a little dark and then you've got the bass, you know, the, the sort of solo bass tracking the Lin. And I think that's beautiful. But other than that, just... Uh, just terrible collection of songs and um as as for undisputed i think like musically i think the chuck d section the actual rap section is probably the best part of the track because you know he brings along the high end kind of rhythm guitar again uh while chuck's rapping but as a track yeah i agree it's it's just terrible and it's interesting like if you if prince asks you to guest on the track the first thing you say is yes of course it's prince right mm-hmm. who among us you know, if we're all artists, who among us would say, no, I'm, I'm not I'm not really into it, mate. Um, but then you go to the studio and you hear the track. <laughs> what, what do what, you do? What does Chuck, Chuck do? <laughs> what do we want him to do at this point? You call Griff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because, you know, on one hand, it's Prince. How can you say no? Right. But I don't know. Big sexy. Bring us home on this song. You know, I have both versions of the Rave album, the Into and or Unto and Into, and other than Baby Knows and to a lesser extent the Greatest Romance, you know, that album's a throwaway. He didn't do any of the any of that new material on the DVD in the concert, and other than you know he did Baby Knows, and he showed the video for uh, Greatest Romance, and it's like, man, you just have lost your direction. You know, I think he was trying too hard to wear too many hats and to cater to too many people. And I just, the standout things on the DVD was, you know, seeing Morris and Jerome seeing and seeing Lenny Kravitz, you know, everything. And, and the standout performance of Kiss. That was, was mind-blowing. But everything else was just like, eh, mm, mm. I, Again, there was something I expected more and was disappointed. All right, so we're going to wrap this thing up. We're going to get people's final sort of comments on the 90s overall. I'm just going to say my piece and be done. In my opinion, the 90s have fantastic music. Probably it had way more music than we were ever accustomed to getting from Prince in one particular time. Um, Staggering amount of albums, stuff that came out. None of it all came out at the right time. Uh, he may not have been engaged in terms of us being fans and what we saw, but listening back on it now, I think, I don't know how to say. On one hand, it is as strong as the 80s in the sense that I don't think the impact was there culturally, but I think there are a lot of great songs. There could arguably be more great songs in there they just don't have great moments attached to them so they don't mean mean as much to us but i think there's a lot of great stuff there uh the truth album some of the stuff on emancipation new power soul graffiti bridge uh even batman there are elements on all of these albums that are pure genius some more than others um i think prince uh in terms of the performer prince 
got even better. And I think that um, 94 through, I don't know, 96 MPG or 95, they were the shit live. Like, their stuff was ridiculous. Uh, if you go back and look at or listen to a lot of those performances, they were really on point. I like the whole um, computer stuff that they added. You know, a lot of those performances had a lot of pre-recorded background vocals, but I think it worked. And I think it got the sound back to where it's sort of like uh, could stand toe-to-toe with the record or go better. And it didn't sound like it was, I'm just going to have a band play this stuff, which I thought, you know, Diamonds and Pearls band, it, it was more of a band, a big band sound with the drums. But I think to me, Prince ain't supposed to have real drums. It's supposed to sound like the records, like just like those early albums. They didn't have a real drums. It was drum machines. So the, when they went out to play with the revolution, they had that drum machine sound. I think that this is the same way he's supposed to have it. I, that's a problem I have with their stuff now. It don't have enough of the drum machine sound live, so it don't really match up to me. It sound like just a cool band doing jazz stuff, which is fine, but that ain't no print shit. Uh, so I like the 90s. It's just, it was Prince unleashed. <laughs> Instead of Django, Prince was unleashed. <laughs> and, you know, the question was, is it too much? I think it is. I think Warners did a great thing in the 80s and they roped that shit in and made it so that each thing counted. It mattered. There's a great quote from uh, Little Richard on one of those um, Prince documentaries. I can't think of what it's called. It's a really short one. But he said something to the point of, you know, I think Prince just need to give him more time so we can digest what he's doing and can really appreciate the shit that he's got. And I think that's ultimately the 80s. He just they let him go wild. He went wild and it went over a lot of people's heads. Um, Big Ken, go ahead. I agree with you pretty much. Uh, I, I think overall the 90s were a positive. Uh, there are a lot of good moments in the 90s, but the problem is is that they are buried underneath all the, the drama from Warner Brothers. They're buried underneath you know the apparent perception that a lot of people had that Prince didn't care. They're buried under some poor choices that he made in terms of trying to secure audiences that really are not his core. So you just had a, a bunch of stuff going on in the 90s. And I think you're right. Part of the part of the issue was some of the things that were so great about the 80s uh, catalog is you're right. Warner Brothers did rein a lot of that stuff in. And you could notice the difference in the 90s because there was no system of checks and balances set up anywhere. So Prince was just out there just going wild, doing whatever he wanted. And it worked out sometimes, but a lot of times it didn't. Most people didn't understand. you know. So there are a lot of good moments, some questionable moments. Uh, but overall, I think uh, you know he has some good stuff in there. I think what's going to happen is that a lot of the stuff during this decade is, gonna not, is not going to get proper um, respect or you know, at, you know, adoration until years from now. When people will look back on his career, and sadly, it'll probably be after he's gone, when people will go back and then they'll start to reassess his catalog and they'll reassess his contribution to music. And then a lot of people may understand where he's coming, where he was at, where he was at at this, you know, at that point in time. But, uh, you know, overall, it's good. Just some uh, highs, a few highs and a few lows. All right. Author, what's your take? Well, I think that the uh, the material is there that you can mine. Uh, that's quality material. Um, I do think that the entire decade was a was a was a uh, a transition period 
for him. Um, and I think that, uh, uh, I, I, I think it's, I think it's unfortunate that there's not one album from this period that, you know, we would take and put on the top shelf, you know, with the eighties catalog that, you know, that's properly, you know what I'm saying? That's properly ordered by release date and, you know, catalog number and, and you know, and things like that. You know, maybe we'd have that kind of thing on, on, on a compilation album. But um, like I said earlier, you know, I, I do believe that every great artist goes through a period like this where in the name of, of, of developing themselves, developing a new audience, they, they alienate and even, and even siphon off a portion of their of their core audience um, that's either unable to go down the same road that they're going, you know. Um, but then there's some that hang on, you know. And I think that all of us, you know, all of us on the on the show today are are those that 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 still hang on because we, you know, we see the bigger picture, you know, in in, in the career of, of of what I believe is 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 the greatest artist, um, uh, definitely of our time, but you know, arguably, period no one has been able to do what this man has done and and even continues to do with what we're what we're now seeing the excitement that's being generated from from some of the newer material that's been coming out in these last few weeks you know but um i really appreciate being on the show if i don't have an opportunity to say it again <laughs> i really appreciate the invitation and i want to give a shout out to michelle Diego cello for her base work on email on, on emancipation i meant to say that earlier <laughs> right on uh Durhan. Well, it, it may be that, I mean, you guys clearly are, I mean, serious, serious experts. And it, um, it may be that I just can't see the wood for the trees. Um, or it may be that, like Isaac's saying, um, sorry, like Arthur's saying, uh, he, um, he, you know, every great artist goes through a point where they develop and they change. And in doing so, they shed part of their core audience. So in that in that instance, it may be that he's the phoenix and I'm the ashes. But um, I just I just think something happened in 1990 that changed him, and it's never been the same. And even the albums that I do like that we mentioned, like Emancipation or New Power Soul, even then they I like them within the context of what I consider to be the wilderness, not within the context of what I consider to be the, you know, the highest echelon. So I don't think that they would come close to competing with 1999 or Parade or Love Sexy. So to me, I will always look at it as a, as an unfortunate period. Um, and, and in fact, I, I don't even know if I can consider it a period. Sadly, I probably consider from for you to, to love sexy to be a period and you know it's a period of greatness within um within his entire catalog and he's still like i said he's still to me the greatest artist of all time purely on the basis of his first uh, you know nine or ten albums but um but yeah i think uh, for me it's it's a dark period but again thank you so much for the opportunity to come on the show and 
uh, I'm sorry that uh, I probably didn't add much value because I was probably like, I hate that. No, I really hate that one. I kind of hate that one. No, I seriously hate that one. <laughs> probably the, the whole time. So, um, but but uh, but thanks for bearing with that. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's our pleasure again. Uh, big sexy and sax, bring us home. Well, you know, the '90s was a lot up and down. Uh, I agree with with Ken, who has said the the glam slam Ulysses portion, you know, from like '94 '96, really had some some great great material. But unfortunately, it was all overshadowed by the beef with Warner Brothers and the perception of that, you know, he's nuts because he's changing his name. All of these things overshadowed some great music. Now, once he got past that, after emancipation, you know, there to me there was quite a drop off. You know, I again, I'm not ripping Larry. I'm not ripping Shaka. I understand. You know, when you have reverence for other people in your field, you want to work with them and help them. That's great. But again, it just wasn't there from like '96 to the end of '99. It just wasn't. You know, the music just wasn't there. And I'm not saying that I can do what he does because I'm not a musician. But when you look at, like um, like Jahan said, you look at everything up from For You to Love Sexy, and then you look at the last 96 to 99, it's like, who is this guy, man? You know, clearly he was lost. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the labels as as entities. But in this case, they were needed to help keep him focused on what he's doing because he just was so scattered worrying about distribution here and and air, airplay there and product support here on top of bringing other people in it's, it's just too much for anybody to expect to keep their productivity at a creative creative level so high when you have to wear all these hats and it showed and you know maybe he'll now granted from a monetary standpoint like a crystal ball he sold less but made more if that's your goal Hey man, whatever. I ain't mad at you, but just from a quality standpoint, musically, no, no, it just it just wasn't there from '96 to the end of the decade. Interesting. I want listening to you guys. I have one last question. Um, what would you have thought if he did love sexy, and then he sat out and was disappeared? And he, the next album he did was Rainbow Children. So he skipped 10 years, 10, 11 years, just sat down. And he said, I'm done. And then he drops Rainbow. Would the Rainbow Children have been that impactful to you? That's a, sort of a hard question, a weird question to ask. But That's a really good question. That's Goat. a really good question. Go ahead. Goat, absolute greatest of all time. Hmm. You drop, you drop Love Sexy after Sign of the Times, mm-hmm. after the mythic Black album that like, you know, 20 people on the planet have heard. You sit it out for 10 years, 11 years, and you drop the Rainbow Children. You, it, like Scoop said, you, you can kiss my ass after Sign of the Times and Love Sexy. <laughs> so now I'm coming back after you haven't heard from me like ever on some, you know, on some Phil Spector type stuff. And I give you the Rainbow Children, and then I'm 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 really out. I'm I'm just out. That that's a hard question to answer, though, Mike. Because honestly, I don't think that he could. I, I don't think it's possible that he could have went from Love Sexy straight to Rainbow Children. Because the reason I say that is the reason why he got the Rainbow Children is because he went through all that drama in the '90s. He went through all those lows. That's how he found religion, and that's how he got to that point in the first place. 
So that's a it's it's kind of a hard question to answer. Do you think you he know? found religion with Love Sexy though? I mean, that was sort of no, his... well, yeah. no, he, he he was religious. No, yeah, he was religious with Love Sexy, and he flirted with religious themes in previous albums. But I'm saying to go so far as to commit to Jehovah's Witness, to go to that point, to commit and truth. go through. Well, again, that's from my that's my point. The journey was through all of that after Love Sexy, through all of those highs and lows, through that that through that. Then that's when he committed to Jehovah's Witness and went that extra step. It's one thing to say to to put religious themes in your records. You know, anybody can do that. You know, say you know, peace to God and all this stuff. Anybody can do that. But to actually do the work, like Mike used to always, like Mike, like Mike always says, to commit to a religion, to actually go to the kingdom hall and to go door to door and do right. all those things. Well, he, that's what I'm saying. Well, he could have still done. I'm just saying if he didn't put no albums out, like if we just disappeared, it doesn't necessarily mean he wouldn't have found Jehovah or whatever. No, I, I agree with that, but I'm saying the, I'm saying the rainbow children as a whole, as the, the record that we're talking about is a product of the journey. And part of mm -hmm. that journey would be him finding religion, quote unquote. So I'm just saying, I'm not necessarily sure that, we would be able to, you know, in retrospect, it's easy for us to say, yeah, he would be the greatest of all time. But would we even be able to understand him if he coming from love sexy and he's going, you know, all the way out to here with, with rainbow children? Some people might, you know, deep brothers like you guys might. But a lot of people. I don't probably... know, man. I, 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 the reason I, I agree with you, I agree with your premise, but the journey, the journey's still happening, even though that the albums aren't being put out. And see, here's what I'm saying. Love sexy the next extension of that, like the next step of that is the Rainbow Children. It's mm -hmm. like if, if, if you listen to Love Sexy and then listen to the Rainbow Children and tell me that that's not, an, that that's not a, a development from, from, from sonically, you, you still had, you still had the, the concept album. Love Sexy is a concept album. It's not really talked about in that kind of way, but it's really a concept album where he's found this, you know, he's found this truth. And this truth is love sexy and love sexy is the way. And, you know, and, and till the day of the hundred silly, whatever the hell that means. But I'm just saying, you know, love sexy is, 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 is like a premise for him through that entire album. And then you go to, to, to the rainbow children, which is almost like a retelling of, you know, of Adam and Eve. And it, it's, it's, it's the same kind of, you know, large theme, um, um, uh, funky, um, um, collaborative musicianship that goes on. You know, I mean, love, love, sex is what him, Sheila, and maybe one other person. And then, you know, uh, rainbow children is him, John Blackwell, and maybe Rhonda in and out of there. You know, it's the same kind of thing. You, I, I think you still get, if you didn't have all those other albums in the nineties, I still, I, I still say that, that, that it's, it's very plausible that, that rainbow children would have been the next album. I agree with all of what you're saying, and I do I do agree to to a point. I guess I guess my thing is is that though I love Rainbow Children, I just know that to some people, Rainbow Children would he, I mean Prince is almost he's veritably, veritably preaching mm -hmm. in that album, right? Mm -hmm. And some people get turned off by that. So mm -hmm. I don't know if it would be big enough, and it would it would appeal to us as hardcore Prince cats, mm -hmm. right? That's what I'm saying. To us, we get it. But, but people general... came to those shows. He sold out those shows. One night alone was that was that tour. Yeah, but that's right. mainly but, Prince fans. That's not no the general. That's what I'm saying. Saying. But, but, I mean, but but there's another point though, Arthur. He, you're right. He did sell out those shows. But at least in Europe, they were small shows. They weren't arena shows. Right. Yeah, they were small shows here too. 
They're very he did, small I mean, shows. Yeah, he did. I mean, he did theater. He did theater shows. Yes. I guess you know, what I'm saying yeah. is Rainbow Children for all its greatness, and I agree. With, I'm, don't trust me. Don't don't get it twisted. I'm not dissing Rainbow Children. I love oh, that no, album. No, it I'm is it is a masterpiece, but it's not going to appeal to the general public. The general public does well, not. Sure, want it wouldn't. Too. Yeah, it I, would. it's not going to appeal to them. But I don't think Love it, Sexy appealed to them either. To be honest, that, that's my point. To us as as Prince brethren, yeah, we would we would be like, man, he went from sign of times to this. To this, oh, he's a, the greatest of all time. Right, but the but out there is not going to feel that. I don't know. I just can't agree with that. The reason why is because he actually did the kind of promotion that you wish that he did for Emancipation. He actually went out. He, he did the same promotion that you wish that he would have done for New Power Generation. He went on Leno. He went around the world. I saw him in Tokyo at that show. He sold out two nights at Budokan. It, it, people loved it. People loved it in the States. And I, now I'm with you. I'm with you. He did not do he did not do super large arena shows around the, you know, around the States. But it, was, it, it wasn't because nobody could get the, the general public couldn't get the, the, the sound. Because I'm telling you, it would even in Chicago, it wasn't all Prince heads up in there. I think well, for me, oh, go ahead. For, for me, the interesting thing is, I mean, my, Michael, you asked, that's a devastatingly good question. Um, it, yeah, that's really a snob's question. That's a round <laughs> It's really thrown me. It's, I mean, you, you got me, man. I, I still don't know if I got the answer. Uh, I think to answer your question, and then I'll make a point, to answer your question, yes, I think I would have preferred him to sit out the 90s and come with that. And I think I would then look at his legacy as being far less eroded as I do, as I do now. Um, and, and, and on two points. So I think it's, it would be far less eroded musically because I liked the sound of the Rainbow Children, even even though it was even though it was largely, in my view, inspired by the modern alternative soul or so-called neo soul movement of the time, and him saying, "Oh, I, I can do it too." What right. you, you know, they copied me. Right. Um, but uh, I think the other interesting point is that it he he shook off the childishness in terms of image and approach and material that a lot of the 90s had to me. You know, his, he, he, even his dress was much more mature and um, his approach was much more mature for the Rainbow Children. And, you know, the shows, they weren't quite so Vegasy as some of the previous um, uh, 90s performances. And I think he, he seemed to take himself much more seriously at that time. So, yeah, I think, um, God, hell of a question. Uh, you know, in, in saying, yes, I would rather him have sat it out, what I'm also saying is I would rather us not have had Get Off, which is, that's a tough, mm-hmm. tough thing to say. I mean, that's, you know, one of my, one of my all-time favorite uh, Prince choice. But, um, no, yeah, I think so. I think sit it out and come back, and I would have thought, wow, you know, this guy who disappeared at the apex of his uh, grandeur and the apex of his, the peak of his powers, he's coming back and he's still got it. Yeah. So I think definitely I would have been very impressed. I, I would add that I think that the 90s albums, and even more so, disappointingly so, the albums after Rainbow Children, they're albums that are made to service an audience who wants what they think Prince is. If that makes any sense, like I'm going to give you a Prince album by the numbers where pretty much everything up to Love Sexy 
doesn't do that. It just gives you what that man wanted to do, even though it may not work to the general public. That's what his vision is. I think Rainbow Children is the next album that does that. After all, as much as I like the 90s stuff, a lot of it is made tailored to this is what a Prince album is supposed to sound like. It's, it's going to have this kind of song. It's going to have that kind of song, this kind of song, that kind of song. Uh, it's going to have some hits. But Rainbow Children, it's not made for radio. It ain't made for no hits. You know what I mean? It's like, you either going to get this record or you don't. But it is its own thing. It doesn't fit no format, to be honest. Just like, a, I would say Love Sexy, it, it don't fit no format. Like, yeah, okay, I'll put Alphabet Street on there because, yeah, I, I ain't crazy. But aside from that, ain't nobody feeling, I mean, you know, general mm-hmm. public, they're not, eh, what the hell is this? And so I think on one hand, it, it brought us back to the prince of, yes, this is straight artistry. This is what I'm into wild story the voice funny whatever but this is my stuff it don't fit no there i don't think i think there was a single but it didn't it didn't do nothing and wasn't gonna do nothing and i think he knew understood that like i'm gonna put this record out myself i'm not gonna do the major deal with this one because it ain't gonna work in that context um and just your point of the shows you're right he did take himself very serious Mm -hmm. uh let me go get maceo let me get these guys the only thing I will say about the show is I noticed the show that I went to, yeah, it was sold out. And yes, it's Prince, but I think a lot of the people that went there left disappointed because they didn't get Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. They didn't get uh, Raspberry Beret and a lot of the bigger hits mm-hmm. that they wanted. And I think he may have saw that. Okay, from now on, it's Arena, Greatest Hits. Now you can't stop doing greatest hit shows. Right. And every album since then is a major disappointment to me personally. I think they're, they're terror. The 2000s are a whack era. Like aside mm-hmm. from where it started, everything else after Rainbow Children, I, I don't listen. I can't listen to those records. It's sadly to say, but I'm going to go to Big Sexy. Uh, what do you think about that question? I think, and I'm, I'm going to have to piggyback with what Ken said, in order to get to where you are now, you've got to go through the journey. And as an artist and as a businessman, he learned so much by, you know, falling down and getting back up. Okay, this didn't work. Let me try this. Okay, that didn't work either. Let me try that. And that's just how it is. You, you have to continue to develop your craft or your skill or you won't grow as an artist so overall did the 90s i don't want to say suck was it disappointing overall yeah but that's just part of who he is and i don't think that this catalog is he wrote his, his earlier stuff in the catalog is he wrote about the 90s stuff at all i think if anything it just enhances it even more so because i don't want to say that was his apex or that's all he's got but if Worst case scenario, if that is all he has, that's a hell of a body of work for anybody, you know. So he's like, um, like Arthur said, he's playing with house money, man. You know, he's he's earned his stripes. He's who he is. He's the guy. So he gets that that opportunity to try other things, and and I'm all about having the the stones to challenge your audience. Anyway, I don't like the greatest hits Vegas tours. I hate them. I fucking hate them. You know, if he would do that and then go to a smaller club and play the stuff that people don't know, that's where I'd be. You know, because I can go 
without hearing Purple Rain, Little Red Corvette again. I don't give a damn. I've heard it a million times. I want you to take me to the next level. Challenge me with Rainbow Children. You know, go somewhere, play that front to back. That's something I'd want to see. But in order to get to Rainbow Children, we have to travel through the peaks and valleys of gold, nigga, and Exodus, and so on and so forth. So sitting, and this is Prince we're talking about. He can't sit down for 10 years. He just can't do it. It's not in him. He's got to get this music out. The, and the question would be, would he be better if he did sit down? <laughs> no, no. You don't think he would? I'm not saying he's not recording. I'm saying he's just not putting it out. Like but he's he, not getting his feedback, though. That's, you know, okay. he, he could be getting, like, he could put Ray together and keep it in the, in the vault and be like, oh, man, this is the one. And it, and it leaks out, and it's like, this is some bullshit. Oops, well, let me try something else. You know, I think it's better when he was less accessible to the media. Because when Madhouse came out back in 87, I know I had to hear about it through, through a record store. I didn't know it was a Prince deal. All I knew was on Paisley Park. I'm like, well, he's got to be involved somehow. That's, you know, you, you, when you lose that mystique, it kind of softens your creative edge. And that's what I think happened here. You know, a lot of his creativity has been softened and diluted with, you know, things over time. And better, better is a hard word, hard word to use for, for that question. Yeah, I think you, you said it. You nailed it, though. You said mystique. If he would have sat out after Love Sexy... And the next thing he dropped ten years later was that the mystique would have been a motherfucker. He'd have been like, yeah. "Whoa, what?" You know, and yeah, I don't think he would have. Well, I think he would have played better because the general public would be like, "Wow, this guy just disappeared." Now he drops this crazy. I can guarantee you the critics would have been on his nuts. Like oh, yeah. if the last thing they heard was that. And then he was gone, and we've had all this that has went on in the music business, and da, 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 da. and then <laughs> they would have been hey, like, "Oh, it's hey, old." Mike, go ahead. It, it, sorry to interrupt. It, it's it's like super late for Jahan oh, at this shit. point. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying. Oh, I'm this. sorry. Thank you. Don't worry. You know what? Don't. With that said, let's let's wrap this thing up. Um, really, well, this is probably one of the longer shows that we've done. Uh, I want to give a special, special shout out to Jahan, an author, for coming on the show. Um, thank you, Jahan. I know it is late where you're at. Uh, My pleasure. Appreciate My pleasure. you guys coming on so much. We're a big fan. Can you guys give uh, the website to the, the podcast? Yes, uh, themusicsnobs.com. There you go. I think you can also find them on uh, Facebook, uh, The Music Snobs. Definitely check that out. Uh, again, highest recommendation that we can give here. Uh, I really love the show, so definitely uh -huh. check that out. Um, shout out the other two gentlemen that are on the show, Scoop, and what's my other guy's name? Isaac. Isaac, Isaac yes, Isaac. Me and Isaac, we probably like eye to eye on just about everything. <laughs> um, but shout out to those two. Uh, Big Ken, Big Sexy, give us the last words and we out. Hey, well, it, was good. it was good to be on here with the snobs, man. I was uh, worried we could be hanging toe to toe with Jahan, but <laughs> he's all right. No, this was great, you know, to uh, to get my little comic book geek here on. It was like a big Marvel DC crossover. It was yeah, great. Yeah. A lot of fun. <laughs> nice. A lot of fun. <laughs> totally. 
Unfortunately, right. we, missed, we missed Scoop and uh, Isaac, but you know we'll catch them next time. Yeah, we're, we're like Wu Tang; it's hard to get us all together at one time. <laughs> <laughs> and also, be remiss. Uh, shout out to Mr. Day Dropping, uh, he's our other member here in the Prince Podcast. Shout out to him. All right, thank you, listeners. Again, leave us your comments on the website and on things like Twitter and Facebook. We will see you guys next time. Go.